we praise you and thank you for the privilege to come to talk about your power, your promises, and your word. What a mighty God you are. A God that wrote us a book and put it down in black and white and red and told us what you like and what you don't like. And we still don't believe you. But that's no wonder, Lord. We see it every day. We see misinterpretations of the Scripture and everything. But Lord, I want to thank you and praise you that it's by faith in the name of my perfect King that I stand before these people today. I am not perfect. I'm working on it, but I ain't there. But I got news for you. I ain't never met nobody that was except Jesus. So, Lord, we're standing on your promises. It's by faith in you that we come today to teach your word. And it's not us that heals. It's you. We just teach the word. We just read the promises. And then we have to act on them and do what you say. And, Lord, if we do that today, I ask you to show up here today. Glorify yourself because this is all about you, not about me, not about these people that are here today, but it's about you. And you're the healer. You're the deliverer. You're the miracle worker. You're the everything. So, Lord, I want to thank you and praise you that you're our king, our Lord and our God. And, Lord, I want to thank you for being the healer and ask you to increase our faith so we can get to the point where your healing power can flow to each one of us so we can walk in that health that we need. For those that sick, healing is very important. So, Lord, I praise you and thank you for being the healer and being compassionate and merciful to us. Lord, bless us today as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, praise the Lord. Welcome to the healing school today. And uh, I don't even know what today is. What is it? Eighth, eighth, July the eighth. Okay, that's right, July the eighth. So praise the Lord. I can't even keep up with it no more. I'm trying, but I have trouble keeping up with what day is what. And uh, for those of you that ask for special uh, uh, teachings and things, whenever uh, uh, Cheryl, uh, she went out after something. I don't know where she's at, but uh, she'll she'll be back in a little while, I think. And. Uh, She'll be happy to show you where certain tapes and everything are back there. If you have a certain title that you don't know where it is, if you've heard about it, uh, like somebody asked me a while ago about uh, Dave Rosenfeld's uh, testimony on DVD, uh, it's called Sickness is Satanic Oppression. And the first hour, I guess, of the healing school that day, uh, we did a testimony of his healing with pictures. And, uh, oh, yeah, there's Cheryl right there. So uh, uh, whenever <clears throat> there's some people that want some particular tapes, honey, so at the intermission, uh, at the break, you'll show them where they are. I just want them to know who you were so you know where these particular tapes are at. Uh, they don't know, and there's a lot of stuff to look through. Somebody was asking for spiritual warfare a while ago, and I think we only have that on cassette, right? Yeah, so anyway, at the break, whenever we uh, get to the break at 3 o'clock, if... Yeah, if you'll go back there, uh, Cheryl can direct you. She knows where everything is back there and uh, can help you and tell you what format. We she, plus, she's got a, some sheets of paper back there that tells you what we have on CD, DVD, uh, video, and uh, cassette. So we are now, you know, I mean, when I had eight or ten teachings, it was pretty easy for me to keep up with it. But anymore, I, I'm doing about nine or ten a month, uh, you know, so... 
uh, nine or ten new titles a month, and so I, I can't even keep up with it myself anymore. I don't even try, but they do a good job. But anyway, we're here today to learn about the power of God and what Jesus comes to do and what causes us to be sick and how we can get well. And the thing about it that I've learned, uh, I mean, I did uh, hear a little bit about in the Pentecostal movement where that a few things did happen. You know, and the Baptists that I was associated with, we never prayed for the sick. You know, never. Oh, yeah, on Wednesday night we had a prayer meeting, but we never saw God do nothing. You know, we never saw an answer to prayer. I mean, you know, if somebody uh, come up, if we prayed for somebody on Wednesday night and uh, three or four weeks later they was back at church or something, we'd think, hey, praise God, maybe God helped us a little bit there, but, you know, who knows. But, you know, to see God do a miracle or see a significant healing, no, we never did because we didn't believe. We didn't expect him to do it, so he don't show up when you don't believe. Now, there, in Scripture, there is only one place where Jesus himself could not heal. And that's kind of awesome to think that Jesus went to his own hometown in Nazareth. Now, of course, he'd been doing all kinds of healings and miracles and signs and wonders all over. And so his fame went abroad like wildfire. And people heard about this kid, Jesus. And so when he came back to his own hometown, they looked at him and said, This guy? We know who this kid is. This kid's Jesus. This is Joseph's son and Mary's son. Who does he think he is, God? Well, yeah, that's exactly who he was. That, but we didn't believe that. And it says, and there they took offense at him. And because of their unbelief, there he could do no mighty miracles except lay hands on a few sick folk and heal them. Now, when you really check that out, you'll find out that the sick folks was those with minor diseases. And it says, and he marveled because of their unbelief. He marveled at their unbelief. Well, there's some enemies that we have. And I'd like to explain to you one thing I've learned about from the Scriptures. And this happened to me well over 20 years ago. And it happened with a man that had terminal cancer. Now, Here's the thing about us. The Lord says in His Word, let every man be a liar and God be true. And so we look at people and think, is this girl a good Christian up here on the front row? Somebody say, what about? Say, well, she comes to church every time the door's open. You think she's a good Christian? Well, you know, if, you, if we go by our outward appearance, the only time I see this girl is at church. But nearly every time the door's open, she's here. So, you know, if you were to just ask, say, what do you think about that girl? Is she a good Christian? What would your answer be? Well, of course. She comes to church. Now, if you look at this guy over here and say, well, is he a good Christian? Say, well, I don't know. This is the first time I've seen him. Now, we go to church all the time, and it's his first time ever to see him. Now, I mean, you know, I'm, I know him, but I, I'm, you know, he's a good Christian, too. But I'm just using people as an example. Don't get me wrong now. Not pointing any fingers. <laughs> but you know, what we would say, well, if he only comes to church once a month, or on Christmas and Easter, he must not be a very good Christian. But if she's here every time the door's open, she must be a great Christian. So see, we 
we kind of put things in the way, perspective the way we see them, right? But who is it that knows your heart? Only God. Now you can, your heart can be a different, totally different. God can see your heart and nobody else may like you. You know that? <clears throat> you may be such a unique individual that virtually nobody likes you. But God. Now, that's good. If God loves you and God knows you, that's good to be known by God because he's the one that does the miracles. But this one man that I'm thinking about, that I'm talking about here, this man, he was a Baptist Christian and he was in church every service. I mean, Sunday morning, Bible study. You know, Baptist, we have Sunday school, Bible study. And then we have worship service, you know, and we're very ritualistic. You know, we got come to Bible study, have 10 or 15 minutes usually in an assembly, you know, with donuts and coffee or orange juice and talk about the things of the week. And then we run into a Bible study. And if we're lucky, we get 15 or 20 minutes of Bible, you know, and then we run out and go to worship and we go in there and worship and praise, we think. You know, that's what we called it. <clears throat> and then we get another 20-minute sermon, and then we go home. That was, that was our standard day at the Baptist Church. <clears throat> and Sunday night, we come back, and we have another uh, 30, 40 minutes or maybe an hour. But God didn't ever show up. He never did. And I didn't know that. And so, but when the average person, like this particular man, was in church every time, because I was in church every time, too, and somebody would say, Thurman, a good Christian? And I'd say, well, yeah. He's there every time the door's open. And you say, well, this guy, he's a good Christian too. He's there every time the door's open too. But this guy came down with terminal cancer at 42. And I didn't. Now, what's the difference? There's something different here. Does sickness and disease just decide to come and say, I'm going to settle on you today? Is that the way sickness and disease is determined? <clears throat> no. The reason I say it's not determined like that, because one of the most powerful set of scriptures in the Bible is in the Old Testament in Psalm 91, and the other one is in the New Testament in 1 John 5.18. Now, in 1 John 5.18, I want you to go there with me, and I want you to see this. I've had people that would read this and had read the Bible before, but they had never seen this. Uh, I remember specifically uh, a lady one time that uh, heard me make this statement on a tape, and she stopped the tape and she said, there is no way the Bible says what he just said. She said, I've read it too many times. So she went back and opened her Bible in 1 John 5:15, it says, If we know that He hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desired of Him. If we know that He hears us. 1 John 5:15, And then verse 16 makes a statement that very rarely do you ever hear anybody talk about this. 
If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death. A sin unto death. It says, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. I mean, for a Christian, that should be scary. Shouldn't it? Because what is the one thing we notice that he didn't tell us? What is the sin unto death? What did he say, brother? What did he say? Did he say? No, he didn't tell us. He didn't tell us. So how do you know what it is? You don't know. And that's what makes it so scary. Now then, this is what it's like in the, in the physical world. If I were to hand you a thirty-eight revolver and I pour all six bullets out of it, and then I were to take one bullet and stick it in the chamber and whirl it right quick and then stop it and say, okay, pull that hammer back and put it to your temple and pull the trigger. You ain't going to do it, are you, ma'am? Now, why are you not going to do it? you got five chances. But there's one. Might be it. Now then, we don't know what that sin is. But see, that's the sin that will lead to death for a Christian. And that's why lots of people in the church die, because we sin the sin unto death. You know, now, we don't know what that is. And that's why some people, you cannot get healed. You know, the reason you can't get them healed is because they have sinned the sin unto death. Now, I've had a couple of experiences with people that have committed this sin. And both times, it's been something different. One, I'll tell you the stories. One of the young men, about 20 years old, uh, he was living with a girl out of wedlock and he broke his back. Now, how many of you know living with a girl out of wedlock sin? Everybody know that? I don't take a rocket scientist to figure that one out. When God says no fornication and no adultery, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that living with somebody out of wedlock is sin. So the young man was living with a woman out of sin. I mean, in sin. And so he broke his back. He had opened the door to the devil, and he'd broke his back. And he was enough of a Christian to know to call and ask for a man of God to come pray for him. Now, is God merciful? Boy, is he ever. While this young man's living with this woman out of wedlock, a preacher went over to his house and prayed for him, and God instantly healed his broken back. You know, now that's pretty awesome, isn't it? Got healed. Well, 20 years later, this same young man... He's now 40. He's terminally ill at 40. And they call for the same preacher to come back and pray the prayer of faith for this boy. And on the way over there, the preacher was going to pray for the boy. He didn't know all the things that went on in his life. But the Lord spoke to this preacher, and as he's going over, and I'll just use a fictitious name of John, as he was going over to pray for John, he heard a voice, sound like he's in the back seat, said, when you get over to John's house, don't you pray for his healing. And he turned to look and said, who said that? He heard an audible voice. How many of you, how many of you in here have ever heard that voice of God? Praise the King. There's a little lady right down here on the front. She told me a while ago when she came come in, she said, I've heard your toast about you heard God's voice. She said, I heard it once. You don't ever forget it when the King speaks to you. 
That's just like her. She said somebody prayed for her healing years ago. She had had arthritis, been in pain virtually all of her life. And she said, I went and said, oh, I had all kinds of medication. She said, I went and they prayed for me. But she said, the next morning, I was lining up all my medication that I'm supposed to take. Had a whole bunch of different things. And she said, I hear this voice saying, you don't need that medicine no more. In other words, I've healed you. You don't need it. So she said, I didn't take another pill. I threw them things away. And she said, it took about three weeks, if I heard the story right. She said, it took about three weeks for all the swelling and the liquid. In fact, her daughter sat right beside her, was right there with mother when all this happened. And she saw over the next three weeks, her mother, all the swelling in her legs and everything and all the liquid and the fluid all go away and all the pain went away. And you had had no arthritis pain since. Isn't that awesome? 35 years ago, Jesus healed her. But see, she was not acting on faith. See, and the king was compassionate and merciful to us. Now see, he didn't have to speak to her. He'd give her the word. But she didn't believe it, just like the rest of us. And so she's been prayed for, but now she's lining up her medicine to take her medicine. And see, what the Lord says, if you believe me, you don't need that medicine no more. And he told you that, didn't he? And then you had to act on that, didn't you? And it sure does help when he speaks to us audibly, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I'm so grateful to the king for speaking to us audibly. Because if he hadn't spoke to you audibly, you'd still have that pain today. Yeah, you wouldn't have believed him. You'd have still been taking that medicine and all the time saying, I'm grateful that Jesus is going to heal me someday. You know, and he would never do it because there's no faith in that. Wow, wait, hold it just a minute. Let me get a mic. I want, to, I, want to, I, want to, I want this on the tape. I want everybody to hear what you're saying here. Okay. Where do you want me to begin? It's, oh, it's the beginning. Oh. Well, I've had arthritis about all my life. I remember as a child, my feet would swell and my hands would swell, but I didn't know what was wrong. Well, as time went on, I got married and had children and what have you, and I still... Took gold shots. I took everything. I went to all kind of clinics to try to get well, and nothing. I finally, the doctor said you're here. You're ready for a wheelchair. But uh, that's when I really threw myself on the mercy of the Lord. And there was a little prayer group that met every Sunday afternoon, and uh, I went. To, I had two friends had been praying for me a long time and trying to get me down there. Well, after I found out I was going to be headed for a wheelchair. I went with them because I was one of these Southern Baptists that went to church every Sunday. But anyway, I didn't get too much help about healing or nothing to say about healing. And I went. And uh, the funny thing is uh, the group had been asked to, uh, to uh, pray for a woman in the Baptist church, I mean in the Methodist hospital, and said that uh, she was going to have to take shock treatments the next morning if we didn't pray for her. So that everybody, the, the preacher said, everybody get out on his knees. Well, I looked all around, and I hadn't been on my knees in 30 years. So I thought, oh, if I get down here, I can't get up. So I picked me out a pole over there next to the fireplace, and I thought, well, I'll maybe hold on to that pole and climb up. Well, the preacher's wife had knelt down beside him. And uh, so we all prayed, and... And I don't know, I think the Lord maybe healed me while I was down, because I was praying for myself. 
And uh, so when I, I, I got up and the preacher's wife said, would you like for us to pray for you uh, uh, for this arthritis, Kate? And I said, oh, yeah. So I went over there and sat down in the chair and they said, now you've got to confess. Is there anything in your life that you have that you need to confess? Well, I couldn't think. I said, yes, there's one thing. And they all perked up because they thought it was a deep, dark secret. And so they all was listening for that to come out. And I said, I want to take. I didn't pray for that woman a while ago. <laughs> I prayed for myself. And uh, so they said, well, that's all right. That's all right. And so uh, there was even people there of all faiths. And this was a bandage that came up and pulled this little bottle of oil out and only the men, the elders of the church, they they quoted this, read the scripture in James and, and anointed my head with oil and well I guess my daughter knows too. I after it's over I kinda of slid my feet and went on out and uh, this friend had carried me and so we was coming back home and I said, Polly, they prayed for me. What am I gonna do about all those people? And she said, Well they prayed for me, Kate, but said I'm still taking for my heart, but I'm still taking my pills. Well, that wasn't no help to me. I went in home, and the next morning, I went to line my plate. I was taking 13 pills. I was taking six aspirins, two fluid pills, and then uh, all my arthritis medicine, strongest could be get. So I was lining up my plate the next morning, and I heard King's voice. He said, you need no more pills. I pushed all those pills back. Didn't take a one, and uh, when I was going to the doctor once a month about my blood and everything. I went, and uh, it's two weeks I had to go. Well, I done shed a lot of my fluid and walking better. And the doctor looked at me and said, don't know what you're doing, but just keep it up. you need any more medicine? I said, no, I don't need any more pills. <laughs> and so I said to the nurse, I said, you give me my results t- tomorrow. So anyway, uh, she called me and she said, I don't know what's happening, but your, uh, your uric acid's way down. That's the fluid, you know. And uh, so, uh, well, by the time I went back, I was just walking real good. Fluid is all gone. Started once not to go back to that doctor. So I thought, I need to go back down there and tell So I went back down there and he looked at me. He said, you don't need me. You, you, I tell you, you're just doing fine. I wasn't led to tell him what I was doing. But when I went on out, the little girl said, uh, Miss Hall, you're going to fall flat on your face. If you don't, he said, you're not taking your medicine, are you? I said, no, and I don't, I don't intend to take any more. And she said, yes, and that's when you're going to fall on your face, and you'll never get up. And I said, yes, I will. So I've been getting up and praising the Lord ever since. <laughs> but I've got to tell this. Okay. The Lord did not straighten my hands out. My hand still looks like I've eaten up with rheumatoid arthritis. And I had a doubting Thomas brother. And he had seen me in all my shape. And, but he couldn't understand. He said, if the Lord's healed you, Kate, why don't he straighten your hands out? And it, he said that about twice to me. And finally I said, Ellis. The Lord didn't straighten my hand out because of doubting Thomas like you. He has left me in this shape so I can tell folks that I once had this terrible disease and I have it no more. So I haven't had any pills since. Amen. Praise. Praise. 
and I'm 91 years old. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Wow, praise the King. Wow, does Jesus do good work or does he do good work? Now, Now see, that's amazing. Now here is a little young lady that decided to believe God a whole bunch of years ago. What did you say? 35 years ago, she was ready for a wheelchair. And when they start telling you, you're ready for a wheelchair. You know, I, I think about what she said there this yesterday or day before yesterday, whatever it was, I stopped by one of the stores, I think, yeah, Walmart, to get something. And I saw a man that I, he couldn't have been 40. At least he didn't look 40. And he wasn't overweight. And he walked up and sat down in one of those little electric scooter chairs and was going all around that store. And I thought, man, is this something? I can't believe. I said, let that guy ride in that scooter if he wants to. I'm glad I'm younger than he is. I said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to run and play through this store. You know, I'm grateful that these two legs work. You know, I am not going to show any doubt or anything else there to give devil the devil place in my life. Because look what the Lord says here in 1 John 5, 18. He says, if we don't sin the sin unto death, and of course, I don't know what the sin unto death is in every case, but as I was going to tell you a while ago, this man, as I was, t- was telling you about this story, whenever the Lord spoke to this man, this pastor, and told him not to pray for this man's healing, and he said, but Lord... You call me to pray for the sick. And the Lord spoke to him again. He said, yes, I did. But he said, John, that I healed John's back 20 years ago when he was living in adultery with that woman. He said he has never lived right more than two weeks at a time. And now then, I've had it. I'm going to take him out. He's going to die. And so he did. That young man at 40 years of age died. Now, do you think it's possible to make the king angry? You think you really can? Obviously, you can. But one thing about God, he's not like you and me. You know, there is times you can be really, really happy and somebody do something wrong to you and you can be really, really mad in a heartbeat. Anybody ever done that besides me? Every one of us have, haven't we? Sure we have. But we have to learn to control that. But we can be like that. But the king is not like that. You know, he doesn't get angry in a heartbeat. But he can get angry. And when he does, he can take us out. Because he is the king. Although, also, he can heal you. You know, and he will if you're walking holy in obedience to God's Word. And, of course, the, the thing I'm trying to s- stress right here, there is a sin unto death, just like it says. Now, I am grateful that, obviously, not everybody sins a sin unto death. But somewhere along the line, we all, I guess, sin so- enough that brings us to the point of death. Because... Everybody dies, don't we? Everybody plans to die. Do you know that? Most people plan to die. You know? Now, 
I think about just an article I just read in the newspaper just this last week about a pastor, and he used to be my pastor. He was a great man of God, and he's several years younger than me. And in the newspaper, he said, I'm fixing to retire from the church. He said, I've been pastor of this church now for 32 years. And he said, I am old and well stricken in years. And he made that statement twice in the article. I am old and well stricken in years. Well, at I don't know how old he is really, but somewhere around 60. But 60 is not old and well stricken in years. You know, I mean, it is only if you believe that, right? I mean, gee, I'm glad I'm not old and well stricken in years. I'm glad I'm just barely getting started. Dave and I was talking the other day. We fear at this age where we are now, we're not quite to the halfway point. You know, not quite to the halfway point. You know, so, but now 91, that's a little past the halfway point. You know, but, you know, 60 or 70 is just barely the halfway point. And because the Lord said, you know, that He would satisfy us with long life. And so you've got to start seeing yourself like this if you want to walk in divine health. You have to make this choice. God has given you and me the choice on this earth as to how long we can live. He said, if you'll be obedient to what I'll tell you, I will satisfy you with long life. Didn't he say that? So, it depends if 60 years old is old and well stricken in years and you're about ready to hang it up and go home to be with Jesus. Okay, but I ain't ready yet. You know, I'm not ready yet. But anyway, this young man, he had committed a sin unto death. Is 40 years of age an old age? That's not even hardly started, is it? I had another young man about that age came uh, down with a terminal disease here a while back. And he didn't realize what was bringing it on. And he went to the doctor here in the Metroplex and the doctor told him. He said, you know, you have a very rapid growing disease. You only have a few weeks at best to live. And he said, well, I'm going to die. He said, Dr. Dane, nothing can be done. It's over. He said, well, I guess I better go back to Tennessee then and buy my burial spot and make my funeral plans. So he went up there and bought his burial spot and was making his funeral plans and run into a guy. And he was telling the guy what he was doing. He says, you know, I got a CD out here you need to listen to. And so he listened to it and he came down here the next week, which happened to be a healing school, and he repented of all of his sins. The Lord healed the guy, and that's been six months ago, and he's still blowing and going. And when he came to give his testimony at three months, he said, I am healed. I didn't realize sin was what brought sickness and disease. He said, I come to the Lord, repented, told him, you prayed for me. He said, I'm totally healed. And he said, I have no sickness and disease. And went back to the doctor, and he checked me, and it's not there. He said, I'm going to live to be an old, healthy man. Now, see, his lack of knowledge would have took him out at a, at a very young age, in his early 40s. But we've seen this over and over and over with people that get healed. You don't have to die early. You know, God has given you life. You know, and there's not anything wrong with graduating and going home to be with Jesus, but I ain't ready yet. You know, I've got a lot of things I want to do, you know, and I've, I've not lived near as long as I want to live. And I had not done near all the things I want to do because I've had fun living in my life. I have done a lot of things. 
and I'm not through. You know, I plan to live a long time. And I think that's God's will for all of us. You know, 91 years. So this beautiful young lady sitting up here on the front row. And wow, she's got, I think, this is your two beautiful daughters beside you right here, right? And you got another one, too. Yes, you got three beautiful daughters. And these girls, I mean, if Mama's 91, these girls up here, they got to be, you know, 60s and somewhere along in there, I'm thinking. You know, and y'all ain't old either, right? No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. You know, when you get children, 60s and between 60s and 70s, you know, some people say, good grief. If the daughter's 65, mama must be old. But hey, she'll tell you, I'm 91, but I ain't old. You know, she still goes strong, you know. So that's the way God planned life for to be, right? That's the way it planned to be. But you got to learn to think young. You can't. I mean, you, you could have thought, well, okay, if 35 years ago, if I'm about ready for a wheelchair, I guess just give me one of them wheelchairs and I'll get in that thing and we'll see what happens. But you could have rode around one of them all your life, couldn't you? But, oh, she said her mother sold her business. When she found out she was going to be in a wheelchair, then when she got well, she got married again or something you just said, right? So she's going to start over again. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Okay, it says here, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that you should pray for it. Well, the thing about it is, since I don't know what the sin unto death is, we pray for everything. You know, we repent of everything and trust God, you know, that He will forgive us for everything we've done. Because if you're still alive and able to walk in here today... Obviously, you haven't sinned the sin unto death, and that especially if you've been sick very long. So, usually, God doesn't put up with this very long. But now, I've seen a few cases, and I'm going to tell you the ones I have known about, so you'll know some of the things that are sin unto death. One of them was this young man living with this woman out of uh, wedlock and adultery. Another one happened to me personally, uh, a young man that was... But my best, one of my best friends, when I was about mid-50s, he was in his mid-50s, and I understood that he had come down with brain tumors. And he had brain tumors. He was in the hospital. I went to see him, and uh, he didn't know who I was. He looked like he was 75 or 80 years old. I mean, really old and wrinkled to be 55. I couldn't believe what he looked like. And... Uh, so they sent him to the hospital, and doctors took the top of his head off and tried to take some of the big tumors out, and uh, they said they couldn't get them all. So he would, if God didn't intervene, the doctor said he'd be dead in a few weeks. So when I heard that, I, I took a day off from work and went down where he was, and I spent the whole day with the Word of God in my hand, reading scriptures to him, anointing him with oil, praying the prayer of faith over him, and everything on Monday. All day long. I spent hours and hours. I don't think I ever spent that many hours with any one individual that I can think of right off the top of my head. But I spent all day with him because I wanted to see him get well. I prayed a prayer of faith for him, rebuked the enemy, did everything, and left on Monday and Thursday he died. And Sunday we buried him, and on the way back from his funeral, I was on the Lord's doorstep. Lord, I said, this guy was in mid-50s. He was young, and I said, Lord, you promised to heal us in your word. 
I said, did I do something wrong? Now see, if you have done something wrong, God says, if you've sinned and haven't repented of that sin, He said, I will not hear your prayer. So I didn't know what maybe I had done something I didn't know about. So because it's easy to sin, very easy. So I'm glad God knows our heart, you know, so we, we repent and He forgives us. And so I thought, maybe I'd done something wrong. But anyway, I sought the Lord for hours, nearly three hours, asking him, Lord, why did this man die? Was it my fault? I knew it wasn't his fault. I knew it wasn't God's fault. couldn't have been God's fault. God don't never make a mistake. So it was either my friend's problem or mine. And I wasn't sure. And so I wanted to know. And I asked the Lord. And after about three hours, the Lord spoke to me, this is clear, he said, no, son, you didn't do anything wrong. Well, that was very comforting on that situation. He said the problem was with him. And he said the answer to your question, you will find it in John 15:2." Well, I went to John 15:2, and I had read that a lot of times. But I didn't believe that God meant what he said. In John 15:2, the scripture says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And every branch in me that produces no fruit, I cut it off. And every branch in me that produces fruit, I prune it so you'll be more fruitful. Now, you know, when you read something like that, you think, that doesn't mean what it says. But does God mean what he says every time? He didn't put nothing in there. He didn't mean what he says. Well, I thought, now then, what is wrong? If my friend didn't produce any fruit, what's going on here? Well, the story was also, just like this little lady said about her mother getting married, that's what happened to this man. This man, about 45, met a woman that had never been married. He'd been married twice. But he had been a very productive Christian. I mean, he was a youth leader, a Sunday school teacher in a church. I mean, he was very productive for the kingdom of God. Wrote articles about the Word of God and everything else. He was just on fire for Jesus. But he met this woman at about 45, and they got married. And she didn't really like to go to church. So she enticed him that they didn't have to go to church to worship God. Now, have you ever heard people make those statements? But does that line up with the Scripture? The Scripture clearly says in Hebrews 10.25, You are to forsake not the gathering of yourself together on a regular basis, as the manner of some are. And even the more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. So, we know the day of the Lord is approaching, so, and the Lord tells us we are to forsake not going to church. So what does forsake not mean? If you want to put it in plain English, it means go to church. I mean, you can't put it no clearer than that, right? Well, he had done that well up until he was 45. Then at 45, he quit because of his wife. And so they went about a half a dozen times in the next 10 years. And then he comes down with brain tumors. And I pray over him, and he dies. Well... That didn't make me feel very good because I took a whole day off and drove way down there to where he was and spent all that time and I just knew God would heal him. But he didn't. 
And, but I'm the kind of guy, you know, being an engineer, if I build something and it breaks, I want to know what I did wrong. I want to know. I want to find out because I don't ever want to do this again. You know, I mean, if I build something and it breaks, I mean, I don't ever want to build another one that breaks. You know, I want to build something that stands the test of time. And so if I build something that stands there for years and I know exactly what I'm doing, then next time I build it, I got full confidence that when I get through with it, this thing's going to be okay. It ain't going to fall in on nobody and or whatever. It's not going to break. So anyway, I didn't understand what I'd done wrong here. And when I asked the Lord what was wrong here, when he told me the answer was in John 15 too, then I found out that, of course, from him, his wife, whenever they got married, she didn't want to go to church. And so they quit going to church. So for 10 years, they went to church a half a dozen times. And he produced no fruit. So what happened to him? The Lord cut him off. Now, at 55 years of age, he died with brain tumors. And the Lord spoke to me and told me that was what caused him to die. He told me that's where the answer to my question to his problem was in John 15 too. He had stopped producing fruit for the kingdom. Now then, he had stopped producing fruit for 10 years. God's pretty merciful, isn't he? But now, by stopping producing fruit for ten years, what did that bring to him? Sickness and disease. Terminal sickness and disease. Now then, a lot of people ask me, do you think he went to heaven? Well, all I can say is God is the ultimate judge on that. I can't say, because I don't know. I don't know. I mean, when I look at you, I don't know if you're a Christian. Only God really knows that. I have been deceived before. I've had some very, very good men that I thought were some of the best Christians I ever met that I found out that later that they were from the devil. You know, they were, and some of these men knew scriptures, could quote scriptures and everything, but when it really came down to the dividing of the wire, I found out these men were not men of God. And that's kind of devastating to you. But the Lord tells us in his word that Satan will send men in among us to deceive us. That will make us think, you know, they're children of God. But he said they're not. And it's kind of scary, really, when you see what is happening today in the church. But I've been deceived two or three times by some men that I thought was really good Christian men. But I have definitely been deceived a few times. So, God, only God knows. So, when it comes down to the point, somebody says, you know, I would never preach a funeral and say, I know he went to heaven. I don't know that. You don't know that. But I have been to a lot of funerals where the guy never darkened the door of a church. And he did use profanity and everything else all through his life. And then the preacher would say, well, we know he's in a better place. Now, he don't know that. You know, he don't know that. You know, so nobody knows that but God. You know, unless God gives you a vision to show you or tells you something so you know where somebody went, you don't know where they went. You know, that's like when Howard Pittman, whenever he died, had his heart problem, and he was on the highway to heaven. Out of the 2,000 people that died in that 15 minutes, only 50 of that 2,000 went to heaven. 
And the other 1,950 went to hell. That's scary, isn't it? Howard Pittman is alive today to tell that story, but yet in 1979, he died and had this experience with God. And, but yet Howard Pittman is still alive today. I have talked to him personally, and he has had this tremendous experience. He said it is extremely scary when you wind up, and he'd been an independent Baptist, and he thought he'd done something for God. And when he showed up at the throne of grace, and the Lord told him, Howard... You're not going to get no rewards. If you come in through that door, you're coming into heaven. But you're not going to get a single reward because everything you did on earth was for you and nothing was for me. He said, Lord, I was an independent Baptist and I taught exactly what they taught me to teach. He said, but you didn't teach my word because what you taught wasn't what was in my book. And he begged the Lord to let him come back. He said, Lord, I will teach what's in this book. But I don't want to come to heaven without a single reward. The Lord said, okay, I'll send you back. But he said, I'm going to take you on a trip of the spirit world first so you'll know what's going on. So he took Howard Pittman on a trip of the spirit world. And he saw demons and angels and all kinds of things. And then Howard Pittman came back to life. And if you've never heard his story, all you got to do is go to the Internet and Google and type in Howard Pittman and, man, you'll find him. He's got all kinds of things. We... Uh, like I said, I've talked to him myself personally a few times. I have some of his teachings, and uh, he was over here to, not far from here the other day, and several of our people went over there to listen to him. But he died in 1979. But he's alive and well. And he stood before the throne of God. He said, it's a scary experience. I'm telling you for sure. Well, obviously it is. But you know, the God that we serve... He told us what to do and what not to do, and we don't believe him. So when you take these experiences about this sin unto death, the young man in adultery, he sinned sin unto death. But it took 20 years to kill him. 20 years. That's merciful. You know, some of you may have lived in some kind of sin more than 20 years, and God has not taken you out yet. But if you have lived in any kind of a sin, any particular sin that you know of, repent and stop it, or it could take you out. It could take you out. You don't want to go there. And then, of course, this friend I was telling you about, that he was a great man of God, and then he quit producing fruit for ten years, and it took him out. So it's obvious he had committed to sin unto death. Because I prayed for him. I did everything I know to do, and God did not heal him because he had sinned the sin unto death. Now then, I am glad we serve a merciful God. I believe with all my heart, if I could have got to this man while he was still conscious, if I could have got to him and talked to him and told him these things while he was still conscious, you know, that he could have repented and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I have messed up. I will take my wife to church. I will do everything you tell me to do. I believe God would have still been merciful and forgiving and healed him. But I got to him too late. But what... The Lord did lay on my heart and share with me when I really, when I, when the Lord told me that He had not been the spiritual leader that He's supposed to. I mean, my return immediately was, Lord, it was that woman you brought Him. I mean, you know, that's the way we are. And it was her fault, you would think. He was a good spiritual man in church doing everything until He married a woman that didn't want to go to church. Now then, God told him to be the spiritual leader and take that woman to church. But she didn't want to go. 
So she didn't want him to go, so he didn't go. And so when I said, Lord, it was that woman. She was the fault. She was the culprit. Why didn't you take her out? And he says, I didn't make her the head of the family. I made him the head of the family, and I hold him responsible. So when I look at the men, God holds the men responsible for the spiritual growth of their families and their homes. And men that don't do that, they have a lot of problems, a lot of sickness and a lot of disease. And they just, I mean, you can check their record. I mean, just today, I called a man that worked for me for years. And this guy called the ministry center this last week and wanted to know if this number was, this was a Thurman Scrivener that used to work for the Marriott Corporation many years ago. And one of the girls said, well, I believe he did work for one of those corporations. He said, well, if it's the same one, have him call me because he said he worked for me and I have a question. And said, I can't find anybody down here in Florida that can give me the answer. But said, this guy, he always had the answer. And he said he was the best engineer I've ever seen. And he said, if anybody has the answer to my question, he'll have the answer. And so I called him today and I asked him what his problem was. And he told me and I immediately come up with another suggestion besides what he was trying to do. And he said, good grief, I never thought about that. So that'll make everything so much simpler and easier. He said, Thurman, how do you come up with all these answers? I said, it's simple. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I have the mind of Christ. So he reveals these things to me. That's how I've learned to do all these things. And it was quite simple to tell him how to do something. He said, well, I knew if there was anybody in the world had the answer, you would. And I said, by the way, while I'm talking to you, he said, how are you? How are you doing? I said, well, I'm fantastically well. You know, I said, I'm perfect health, preaching the Word of God, doing all kinds of things. I said, how about you? He said, well, I'm not working anymore. I said, what do you mean? I said, how old are you now? He said, well, I'm 60. He said, life really goes by in a hurry, doesn't it? I said, yes, it does. So here, I'm about eight, almost eight years older than him. And I'm in perfect health. And he, I said, uh, so you're not working? He said, no, I can't. So he said, I had a massive heart attack three years ago, and I haven't been able to do any physical work since. But he said, five years ago, I come down with diabetes, and that was another kicker. I said, you never did start serving Jesus, did you? Well, he said, I go to church. But see, going to church don't make you a good Christian. You've got to spend time with God. You've got to read the Word. You've got to talk to the king. You've got to love him and praise him. Does anybody in here know what, or somebody that knows what the first commandment is, would you quote it for me? What is the first commandment? You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. And you're to have how many gods before me? It's amazing how we all know that, but do we do that? Let me ask this question. How many Christians, and I was one of them for a lot of years, I would come home after work and I would sit down and watch two or three hours of television, worldly stuff. And then I'd go to bed and I wouldn't read the Bible at all. Anybody been guilty of that besides me? Yeah. 
Do you think I was putting God first? No. Was it a good thing He was merciful? Yes, because I was breaking the number one commandment, wasn't I? Now, if He wasn't very gracious and very merciful, after about, oh, let's say, let's see how merciful you would be. You own the company, and somebody comes in and works for you for, oh, you're paying them for eight hours a day, and they come in and work uh, an hour or two, maybe, and then they go in and sit down and watch television or something, or go sit down at the table and talk with their friends until they've been there eight or nine hours. And then they say, well, I've been here, and now then I'm going home. And you got maybe an hour's work out of them. Now, if they did that every day, how many weeks or months are you going to be merciful and keep paying them 40 hours a week when they're only working about five or six or seven? Not many, huh? Here's a man over here, he thinks just like I do. Not many, huh? In fact, you know what most people say? About one or two days of that nonsense, and that's about all I can stand. Well, you know, it's a good thing God's more merciful to us than we are to one another, isn't it? <laughs> because if, we're, if we don't seek Him, we break that first commandment, that will bring sickness and disease into your life. Now, a lot of people don't understand that. But I have seen it. I've seen men that will not go to church, maybe on Christmas and Easter. They use the excuse, well, I'm working out of town or something. And yet them and their families and their children are having all kinds of complications, problems, and sickness and disease. And it's just a way of life. No, it's not just a way of life. It does not have to be like that. You know, if you will put God first... He will bless you. He will do great and wonderful things for you. But you got to put Him first. If you put Him first, He will bless you. But, yes, brother, just a minute. Let me get a mic over here so we can ask this question and it be on the tape. I appreciate being here. I uh, praise God for it. I just had something I wanted to share half a minute. 1985. God put a call on my life, and I refused to answer the call. And I ran from God for five years. It seemed like everything I touched, some things would work, some wouldn't. Uh, I spent a lot of time in church, discipling people. God had put the call, and I refused it. In 1990, June the 7th, I was laying in a hospital, terminal with cancer, given very little chance of living through the surgery. And uh, I stopped running from God. It's now been 16 years, and I'm still alive. I'm cancer-free. They operated on me. I have 222 stitches down in front of me. But one of the the things that got me was disobedience. I would say, God, look what I'm doing for you. Look at these men in the the men's men's, uh, ministry that I was in. Look Look what's happening here. And he said, I called you to obedience. And the only answer I would get from him is, I called you to obedience. I stopped running in the 7th of June, 1990. And God has blessed me, the ministry, my time. And uh, since then, and I just praise God for it. But that sin unto death could be disobedience if you keep it up. Amen. I believe laying there... uh, 
I went through eight and a half hours of surgery. I have 222 stitches down in front of me. I have a colostomy. I'm different than other people. Uh, but I praise God for the reminder, as Paul had a thorn in his side. I have a reminder of my disobedience. When I left out of the hospital, we sold everything we had and went out to follow the Lord and have never turned back. And I praise God for the fact that it's never too late to say, God, I will. I will submit. I will do what you ask me. So I just want to share that. Praise the Lord, brother. That's great. That's great. You know, this. This. I think this is something that so many of us never put together. Is disobedience bring sickness and disease? I don't know what happened there, but that'll wake us all up. That, that happens every once in a while. I don't know. We're still trying to figure out what causes that. But anyway, I guess maybe I should say that finds out what kind of a faith person you are. <laughs> if you jump through the roof, you're scared. <laughs> you know, but be prepared for everything and anything because you never know what is going to jump out at you as you go through life. But the thing about it is when God calls you for something, and you know he's called you to do something, and you refuse, you're treading on dangerous ground. Very dangerous ground. Because I had another gentleman, just like you, sir, Carl, that uh, not too many months ago, uh, he told me, he said, God called me to be a preacher. And he said, when he called me to preach, I just he said, I heard his voice clear. He said, I've called you to be one of my preachers. And he said, Lord... I mean, I know you ain't supposed to make mistakes, but this time you blew it big time. He said, I am never going to be a preacher. He said, I can't be a preacher and I ain't going to be one. And God will never call you to do something he'll not empower you to do. But see, this man stayed in the flesh and he looked at it from his point of view. And so within a matter of a year, he wound up same way in a hospital, terminal illness, Doctor walks in and said, you'll be lucky if you're still alive this weekend. And he looked at him and said, God, this guy just told me I'm terminal. I may not live through the weekend. He said, where are you, God? i got to have some help. And the Lord said, oh, you need me now, do you? He said, what do you mean? He said, I always need you. He said, no, last year I called you to be one of my preachers and you out loud told me no. So he said, I don't need you. I called you to produce fruit. So I don't need you. Now you're going to die. He said, Lord, I repent. Lord, I'll preach. I'll do anything you tell me to do. He said, oh, now I have your attention. He said, yes, Lord, if you'll be merciful to me, if you'll heal me, I'll go anywhere. I'll preach anything you tell me to preach. He said, okay, now that you've repented. He said, in one hour, in one hour, I was completely well and got up and walked out of that hospital. But he said, let me tell you, I hadn't stopped preaching the Word of God since either. You know, so just like you, right, brother? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is too good. I've got to get this. this is, I mean, you're talking some serious stuff there. Everybody needs to know this. 
they were talking to my wife about funeral arrangements, and uh, and I, it was an air shot of me. They, you know, I was I was uh, headed for the chunky. You know, yeah. the, the, it was the wrecking yard for me. Yeah, uh, they'd already determined that you know it was going to happen, and uh, but there was such a peace came over me, and and I didn't bargain with God. I didn't say, God, if you if you spare me, I'll preach for you. I'll do anything you ask me to do. It was I had I had said that to him so many times. And, and I hadn't done it. In that five years of disobedience, I just returned from the Orient. I've been working for the government close to 32 years, of the CIA and the FBI. But my, it, was, it was important what I was doing, serving my country. And all of a sudden, there I was, laying there on that hospital bed. And uh, there, there, like I said, there was a peace. There was no bargaining. And I was at peace with God for the first time. In my life, I knew if I went home to be with him, then it was okay. If I, whatever, if I stayed, it was okay. There was no bargaining or discussion. And uh, when the surgery was over, God had gotten a hold of me. The nurse in, the, in intensive care said, "God must really love you." And I didn't know what she was talking about. And I pushed my own wheelchair out of intensive care. Wow! Just amazing thing. And I wanted my family to see. I could push that wheelchair. I was hurting bad, but I wanted to push that wheelchair. And we went and sold everything we had. And, and they gave me two to four months. I refused chemotherapy. They said, hey, you're, gonna, you're signing your own death warrant if you don't take chemotherapy. I said, you gave me two to four months to live, and you want to give me a year of chemotherapy. I, you know, something got confused there, you know. I mean, I didn't come riding in on a load of potatoes. I mean, I got it figured out. Going to pump it into the coffin? What are you going to do? You know, but, but what happened was two months led to four months to six months to a year. I put all my affairs in order. I was heavily insured, so my, my family, my wife would be taken care of. And I, I was just, and I always knew every time I would preach, I would say, if I fall over in a pulpit, it's all right. The doctors have given me two to four months to live. And, but uh, I, I'm, I'm going to be waiting on the other side of Jordan. And I would say this, and, and uh, my wife went home a year and a half ago to be with the Lord, never thinking that she would be first. Yeah. And, uh, I, you know, I, I praise God. She was faithful, never went to a doctor in 18 years, and it was time for her to go home. And she went home. So I... I tell you, I saw what disobedience could do. Amen. And I'm going to tell you, don't get in my way and tell me God doesn't heal. Because I'll run right over you because I've been there and I've done that. And he has been a healer, a healing God to me. We have prayed for people. And I don't want to. God does the healing. We had a woman die in a meeting. And and, uh, uh, brother, I was trying to hedge my bets going over there. The doctors had said she was dead in the meeting in a wheelchair. They brought her from a nursing home. And I'm saying, oh, God, what do I do? I, hands, you know, I, it wasn't me because I'm saying, okay. I said, okay, God, I got it. I got it. If this is not premature death, I asked you, Lord, to bring her back. Now, that's safe. Amen. Brother, that's safe. Yeah. That woman, they, they straightened her out, put her out in a foyer, dialed 911. 911 came about 45 minutes to an hour later. She sat up on the stretcher and said, you ought to go hear that guy. He's, he's preaching real good. <laughs> and that, that was verified by doctors and was in the paper in, in Fredericksburg, Virginia. Amen. And so I praise God 
this young lady up here that said that she the next morning she lined up all her medicine and the king told her you don't need it no more with Randy he was riding a motorcycle after we prayed for him and he put all the medicine in his pockets and when he got home I told him I said you know if you believe God you don't need that medicine no more well the Lord made sure he wouldn't need it because on the way home he lost it out of his pocket somewhere on the road. Is that right, Randy? That's what happened. And that happened last August. 
and he's never had a seizure. And you were having how many seizures? Three or four seizures a week. And after repenting of his sins, the king heals, doesn't he? Amen. He heals. Praise God. Now then, the thing, the thing that we don't like to hear, but the thing we have to teach. In fact, I had a woman call me the other day, and nobody but me and God knows the flack I catch with what I teach. This woman called me, and she was so mad at me. She said, Thurman Scrivener, you have to stop teaching what you're teaching. You have ruined the lives of two people in our church. I said, well, ma'am, tell me, about how did it happen? She said, we have a person here, a woman, that has a child. And so the child was born deformed. And when she heard your teaching, she realized the lifestyle that she lived in and the sin she lived in is what brought that sickness to that child. And now she realizes she's responsible and she is really angry with herself and she really is heartbroken because of what she's done. And another person, same thing, and said, you've ruined two people's lives in our church and you must stop teaching what you're teaching. I said, ma'am, all I got to say is those two people should have heard what I taught before they sinned. And then they would not have done that. And then they would not have brought those two handicapped children into the world. I didn't write the book. I just teach what it says. God tells us not to disobey, doesn't he? And when we disobey, he's big enough to put you in in the cancer ward, isn't he, brother? And when you repent, he's big enough to take you out of that, isn't he? And to heal you. Just like Randy... All those years, Randy's hooked up on drugs and alcohol and all the stupid things he did in the flesh. When he come to the Lord and come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, what would you say, May last year or something like that? When he come to Jesus, there is a word in the Scripture It's only used in this particular place. And it's called redemption. You know what it means to be redeemed? Redeemed is always used when it talks about a person coming to Christ. That's the only time you can be redeemed. You can't be redeemed but once. When you come to Christ, now it may not matter how wicked Brandy had been, or Carl had been, or who, me, it makes no difference how wicked we were. We might have been the worst murderer, abortionist, killer, rapist, you name it. We might have been the worst druggie that there ever was. But when we come to Jesus and He redeemed us, did we have to confess our sin? No. All you had to do is come and accept Him as Lord and Savior. You couldn't remember all the sins you committed in the past. He just redeems you. When you come up to that door and say, Lord, i got to have some help. I can't handle this no more. He said, just come right on in. And He took you just exactly like you were, and He redeemed you. And when He redeemed you, how many of your sins did He forgive? All of them. Now see, that's the only place in the Scripture redemption is used. Once Randy got saved, 
Now then he's redeemed and he's made, he's washed clean. Now then, if and when he sins after that, there is no more redemption, but only forgiveness. And how do you get God to forgive you? You ask him. That's right. You come and ask him. See, the minute you get redeemed, you put on your white gown. And it's clean. And there's no sin left in you at all. And then you go out and do something wrong. And how many of us have done that after we got saved? Man, I'm telling you, every one of us, and time and time again. Well, because we didn't understand we're not supposed to sin once we get saved. We just go right back out and do what we've always done. Now then, when we recognize that we had sin, we heard somebody say, you shall not do this or do that. And you said, oh God, Lord, I've messed up ten times in that area alone since I got saved. Lord, would you be merciful to me and forgive me? What will he do? He will forgive you. But what if, the, what if between the time you got saved and the time you learned that what you were doing was sin, what if that allowed the devil, the doors to be opened to the devil, and the devil come into your life and he's putting epileptic seizures on you every day? Or every three times, what do you say, a month or a week? Three a week. Putting three a week on you. And now you come to Jesus, come to a healing school, and find out you've got to repent from your sins. He come up and got prayed for, and then he walked back there, and I made a statement that said something like, if you're going to come up here to be prayed for, don't come up to get prayed for unless you repent of your sins first, because God's not going to hear your prayer unless you repent. He told J.C., his pastor, said, well, I didn't repent. J.C. said, well, you need to repent. So he repented to J.C. and to the Lord. And J.C. said, now get back up there. I'll go with you and we'll go up and pray for you again. So he come up there and after he told me what he did, after he repented, I rebuked those devils again. Commanded those demons to leave and this time go to the pit of hell and never come back because he's repented. He's changed. And we rebuked the devil and drove him away. And did the devil leave? He left. How many seizures has he had since last August? What did he say? None. He was having three a week. Is that a difference? Huh? Oh, that's three a week with medicine. Okay, three a week with medicine. And just think, all he had to do was come to the king and repent... And then all I had to do was take God's Word and by faith drive the devils out and the devils left. Aren't we glad we serve an awesome Jesus? See, it's by our faith in the name of the righteous one that we get these things done. But God has to have pastors, doesn't He? He has to have evangelists. He's got to have men and women of God that believe Him. Now then, you don't have to be a preacher to cast the devil out of somebody. I mean, you just got to be a man or woman of God. That's all you got to be, a believer in Jesus. And, I mean, before I became a pastor, I mean, I, I, I can, we're talking about epileptic seizures. I can remember not too long ago, I was out here after they built the new Roanoke uh, Home Depot, which uh, hadn't been within the last year or two, whatever it was. But I walked in there one day, and there is a guy with a great big uh, black shirt on with a big white cross, two of them. And Jesus is Lord. So, I, wow, these guys must really love Jesus. 
So I walked up and tapped one of them on the back. And he turned around and he said, Thurman Scribner. I said, I said, who are you, sir? I'm sorry, I don't know you. He said, well, I won't never forget you. I said, what did I do? He said, five years ago, I had a five-year-old son, and he was having seizures every day of his life. And we heard about you, and we called you, and you came to our home. And you sat and talked with us for hours, and you told us we had to repent of our sins and change what we were doing. He said, nobody had ever told me that. So he said, I knew I was doing things I wasn't supposed to be doing. My wife knew she was doing things she wasn't supposed to be doing. said, both of us repented before God that day. And you said, now then that we've taken away the devil's legal right, you grabbed a hold of my son and demanded them demons to leave him. And he said, five years later, that boy's not had one single seizure. Now, what was it that made the demons leave? The mama and the daddy repented of their sins. They had opened the door to this devil that come to attack this little five-year-old boy. Now then, if they hadn't run into a man that's willing to tell them that sin is what opens the door to bring the devil in. And most people are afraid to tell you that. They don't want to offend you. We, got, we don't want our ears itched too hard. You know, certainly don't want somebody to reach up and grab that booger. You know how some of the daddies used to do if you were a kid that were disobedient? Daddy would reach up and grab that ear. <laughs> turn. Ah, ah. Any of y'all ever had your ear grabbed a hold of before? <laughs> you have too. Huh? Your daddy did that to you? Mama, Mama did that. <laughs> Mama would tell me to get a hold of that ear. Well, she could make you beg for mercy, couldn't she? The thing about it is, we don't want our ears pulled. We want them just kind of, we don't mind if somebody flips our ear a little, but we don't want them to really get a hold of it and twist it. But you've got to know that it's sin and disobedience that opens the door for the devil to come to your house. Because right here where we are in 1 John 5.18, if we don't send the sin unto death, let's go to the next verse. And it says in verse 18, we know... That whosoever is born of God does not sin. Does your scripture read like that? Now that's got to be a mistake because how many of us that are Christians sin? Maybe none of us are Christians. You know, if you stop and look at that, the first time I read that, I thought, God, I'm not a Christian. I mean, because it says, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. And I knew I'd sinned after I got saved. So I thought, God, there's one of two answers here. Either I'm not a child of God, or this is, this is wrong. So I'm pretty sure I'm a child of God because I accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. So this is one time I had to go back to the Greek and read this word. And when I got into the Greek... When it says, sinneth not, you know what it really says? You do not practice sinning. Now then, we know we can be children of God in sin, right brother? I mean, all the time you were down in that hospital, sick and all this stuff, you knew you knew God, didn't you? Sure, I did too. I know Jesus. But, 
can we be sick and in the hospital and even die in our sickness and still know Jesus? Yes. Can we sin and know Jesus? Yes. But what if we're children of God and we go out and just practice sinning? In other words, you decide, well, I think I'll just uh, steal something. I know it's wrong to steal. But I think I'll just steal everything. You know, I go into the stores and I see something there that I want. I just put it in my pocket and walk out. I know it's wrong to steal, but I'm going to steal anyway. Now, if you really practice sinning and there's no remorse, what does God say? Are you His child? No. If you can steal out of a store and practice it, you're not a child of God. You can't be a child of God and steal, can you, ma'am? You'll agree with that? You'll agree with that. All right, that's the way I... So the Lord says, we know... That whosoever is born of God, so if you're born again, child of God, you will not practice sinning. That doesn't mean you can't make a mistake once in a while, but it means you ain't going to continuously make that same mistake over every day. You're not going to go out and do these crazy things and then come back on Sunday to church and say, Oh God, I'm sorry I messed up 14 times this week. You know, but I repent. And next week you come back the same way. Oh God, I messed up 27 times this week. Same sin. Oh, you need to get saved because you don't know the Lord. Because look what he says after that. But he that is begotten of God keeps himself. And the wicked one touches him not. So what's that saying in plain English? If you keep yourself from sin, the devil which is a wicked one, cannot touch you. He can't touch you. Now then, what does that mean if you flip it over? If you do go out and sin on a regular basis, what can that devil do to you? What can he do? He can get you. So when you really get a hold of this picture, you begin to see this. When we go out and sin as Christians, does God love us? Yes. He has a set of spiritual authorities called demons that he defeated and triumphed over 2,000 years ago that have to be subject to him. He is in total control. You know, no demon of hell, including Satan himself, can't even take a breath unless the king says, okay. Do you know that? If Jesus said, I triumphed over you and defeated you totally, and you can't do nothing except I tell you. The devil can't breathe without Jesus saying, okay. Jesus could annihilate him right now if he wanted to. Because he came to this earth 2,000 years ago, and it says he defeated him and destroyed him and had the power of death. That is the devil. Triumphed over him and disarmed him completely. Now then, if you're the victor, and your enemy is the victim, and you're in total charge, what does your enemy have to do when you speak? They have to obey. They have to obey. Well, that's where Satan is today. So if that's the case, why did God leave Satan here instead of not annihilating him? Let me ask you this question. In the flesh world, if tomorrow, they had put it in the newspaper, that beginning tomorrow, the first day of the week for the next two weeks, there would 
not be a single Dallas police officer or, or highway patrol nowhere in Dallas be on duty for the next two weeks. Not one would have to report to work. Would you want to be in Dallas County anywhere in the next two weeks? You wouldn't be safe, would you? I mean, we would flee. Why? What would happen? Chaos. I mean, the devils of hell, the, the human beings that are hiding would come out. I mean, if you think it was bad in New Orleans when, the, when they walked through, anybody saw what happened in New Orleans just because of the, you know, and people didn't need them televisions and VCRs and all that stuff, didn't need breaking them windows out of them stores on camera. That's just the thievery, the wickedness, the evil that's in them that caused them to do that. And why did they do that? Because there was virtually no police officers. Started killing people and everything else. Now then, if God didn't have the demons, and this is where we've missed it, because once we get a hold in the church that these demons are here to be the spiritual authorities or the executive department or the police force for the church, when you get a hold of the fact that they're there, and they're the ones that make you sick, they're the ones that attack you, when you get a hold of that, when you know you can't get away with anything on this earth, nothing, it'll change the way you do business. You know that? When you sin, you can't get away with nothing. Aren't you glad God knows your heart? He knows if the intent of your heart is good or evil. Nobody else knows that. Nobody. Not even, sometimes even ourselves, we don't know that. We think we understand someone, but we do not. Only God knows your heart. He knows what your intent is. He knows where you are. He knows why you're doing what you're doing. And so, therefore, he can release the demons to attack you, or he can withdraw them. Just like our brother right here. I said he was on his deathbed when he came to the Lord. And that peace came upon him. Technically, at that point, God knew his heart had just changed and that he was willing to serve him. And when... God knew his heart. You notice he also said, I didn't even verbalize it. But God knew your heart, didn't he, brother? And so he healed him. But he's been serving him ever since, too. And you ain't going to change now, are you? No, they ain't going to change now. The thing about it is, God, only God knew his heart. And he knew that peace. And that's therefore, when he technically within himself... He had repented. And he, that's why that peacefulness come up all over you. And when that peace came upon him, God saw that heart and that heart of peace and that heart of repentance. He said, oh, my son will serve me now. I can, I can use him. He can be productive, fruitful for my kingdom. So I will heal him. And he did. When I learned these principles... This is when I started getting lots of people set free. Just like little Randy over there. You heard him give his testimony a while ago. I mean, he lived in hell for, what did you say, 14 years? Randy was on that drugs and junk and all the bad stuff of the world. I mean, see, 
He didn't know Jesus. So he's just doing what the flesh says do. If it feels good, do it. The consequences are there. But they bear terrible consequences. Terrible consequences. And he was leading, going down, Randy was going down a path that was leading him to hell and death and destruction. When one day, somebody come along and told him about Jesus. And he believed it. And when he received Jesus as his Lord and Savior, he got saved. But did he get healed? No. Some things changed in his life. But when he came to a healing school and heard that he had to repent of his sins and believe God and have the demons cast out of him, he could get healed of his epilepsy and these things that he needed to get rid of. Now, what had opened the door to allow these demons to come to his life? All of his sin. All the sins he'd been involved in had opened the door and these demons, these hounds of hell, had legal right to attack him because of his sin. And when he came to Christ, he was redeemed and washed in the blood. But the demons of hell didn't leave. They were still there. He still had the epileptic seizures. Three a week with medicine. But when he came to our king, and he repented of his sins of unbelief, and believed the promises he had heard me teach all day, and then whenever he believed that and repented to the king, then when I spoke in the name of Jesus to drive out them devils, God was standing right there and said, Okay, you devils of hell. That my son there, he's just repented. Who was right there with him that day? Jesus, the king, was standing there beside him. Can't you just see? I can just see the king standing there with his arms folded. And whenever Randy says, Lord, I repent of every sin. He said, that's what I've been waiting to hear you say, son. And the king was right there. He said, Lord, I repent. And now then, since God is a spirit being, and these spirit beings are here, but whenever He lets one of us, His men, whenever you repent, whenever I speak in His name as an ambassador of His, and say, now you demons of hell, in the name of Jesus, you epileptic demons, you must leave Randy's body because he's repented, because the King says, in Mark 16, 17, and 18, these signs shall follow those that believe, In my name, we shall drive out demons. And we shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. But don't do no good. I mean, you know, you can lay hands on people. You can anoint them with oil. You can do everything in the world. You can drive out demons. You can do everything until they repent. Chances are nothing is going to happen. Because why were they sick in the first place? Why was he sick? Because of his sin. It opened up. Why was Carl sick? Because of his sin. Whenever Randy decided, Lord, I want to repent, the king's sitting there saying, oh, okay. That's what I've been waiting for you to hear, to hear you say, to you want to repent. And so when he repented, and now then whenever a man on earth has got to say, you devils of hell, leave in the name of Jesus. And the king's standing there, and if that devil raised his head and said, but I ain't going. Jesus said, oh, yes, you are. Oh, yes, you are. My son... He told you to leave, and when he said he said it in faith. Now, what if I don't walk in faith? Which there's some things I can't have faith for at this point. There has been some things that I have not been able to see get healed. And I just, I just know, in some cases, I have not reached that point yet, and I don't have that faith for some particular things. One of the things I've never been able to get there yet 
So far, I have never seen a complete healing of an autistic child. I have never seen a complete healing of a person really seriously injured with cerebral palsy. Not yet. But there's men in scriptures that did. We're going to. We're going to pay that price. When we get there, when we speak, just like Philip did that day when that boy was crippled with that cerebral palsy demon, when he rebuked that spirit and commanded that thing to leave, the king was standing right there and he knew exactly the faith that Philip had. And when he spoke, he said, you palsy demon, get out. My son has the faith. And when the Lord said, that's it, that demon left and the man was healed. Well, the Lord knows our faith. Now, I have prayed for lots of people with epilepsy, and I've seen many of them healed. It's just like backs. I prayed for so many people's back. If you will repent of your sins and allow me to pray for your back, I can guarantee you God will heal your back because I have such great faith for backs. You know, I don't know what it is. Because I don't even know how many numbers of backs I've seen healed on the telephone. I've seen some of the greatest miracles I've ever seen on the telephone a thousand miles away. You know, you pray for somebody, that's a pretty good sign Jesus is everywhere, isn't it? You know, when somebody can call you, when a young man can, that worked for Bill Gothard can call me and I found his sin, and let me tell you what his sin was. This young man is walking with a walker, and he's 21 years old, and he's already had back surgery one time. And he works for Bill Gothard in Bill Gothard's ministries. He is Jesus 24-7. Now then, how do you start out to find out what a young man's sin is? Because I know if he's down on his back, he's got sin. You're not down on your back. First John 5.18 says, If you don't sin, that devil can't touch you. Is that what he said? So if you don't sin, the devil can't touch you. If this young man's walking in a walker, he's got a sin. What is it? How am I going to find it? Forty-five minutes, I begin to ask questions. He ain't sinning nowhere. I can't find a single sin. I finally come down to the very last thing. I said, son, I think I now have narrowed it down. After 45 minutes, I haven't been able to detect a single sin in your life. But I believe I know what your sin is. He said, what? I said, it's unbelief of the promises of God. He said, sir, I believe all of God's promises. I said, okay, then if you believe them all, then that's not the sin. So the sin would be you don't know them. You don't know them. Is that a sin? Did God tell you to study, to show yourself approved unto God? Did He make that statement to you in His Word? You know that's in there, don't you? He didn't say read it, did he? He said study to show yourself approved unto the God, didn't he? So, how many of us study the Bible? I used to not study it, you know, but I do now. Because now I realize if I don't, it's a sin. So if I don't study, it's a sin. So I said, son, that's your sin. You have not learned the promises of God. He said, Mr. Scrivener, I don't believe that's my sin either. I said, okay, let's find out. I said, I want you to turn. I said, you don't believe these promises or you don't know them. One of the two. I couldn't find any other sin in the boy's life. He's walking clean and pure every way that I, could, that I checked him out. I said, I want you to turn to one of the divine promises of God 
in the Word, which says, by these great and precious promises, we can become partakers of the divine nature of God. Now then, do you think God in His divine nature has back problems? You don't think God has any back problems? Well, I don't either. So I told him, I said, the Lord told us over in Second Peter chapter 1, that by these great and precious promises that are scattered all throughout the Word, we can become partakers of the King's divine nature. I said, and I don't believe God has back trouble, Andy. I said, so I want you to turn to one of these great and awesome promises, and I want you to see what it says, and I want you to look at Matthew eighteen nineteen. Matthew eighteen nineteen makes you an awesome statement. How many of you know right off the top of your head what Matthew eighteen nineteen says? Okay, we've got a few hands. The rest of you haven't studied enough. But you need to know this promise. If you don't know what Matthew eighteen nineteen says, I want you to turn in your Bible and I want you to see it. I want you to see this great and awesome promise. Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. The king says there in Matthew chapter 16 and 17 and 18, he says, My little children, it gives me great pleasure to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, should be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth should be loose in heaven. Pretty awesome statement, isn't it? And in verse 19, he makes this statement. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth shall agree about... Now, wait a minute, ma'am. He couldn't admit anything. He did? That's what he said anyway, isn't it? If two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. Is that a great and awesome promise? I mean, is that in your Bible, young lady? Well, now what can you do with that as an obedient daughter? You're going to find you a good companion that will believe, right? Now, don't just go out there and look for anybody. Because you walk up to them and... Be like your doubting Thomas brother, you said, what? <laughs> how, many, how many people in the church are doubting Thomases? Too many of us. I was one of those too many years of my life. I know. I've been there and done it. But I didn't take God literally. But see, that's what he said. That's the way the devil had deceived me. So I told Andy, I said, Andy, if you will repent for your sin of unbelief of that promise, and then tell me you believe that promise with no doubt in your heart, I will guarantee you when you and me agree in prayer, God will heal your back. And did He make us that promise? He did say that, didn't He? But now see how we've not acted on the Word, right? We read this like a novel. Oh, again, I tell you, there's two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for. It shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. What's the next verse? We go on. And we think, now wait a minute, wait a minute, let's come back up to that one. That's, that's pretty awesome, isn't it, young lady? If two sisters together can be in agreement and both of you are still on earth, what can you get God to do for you? Now what kind of power do we have? Awesome. He's really got to love you and me a lot to give us that kind of power, doesn't he? But he really meant that, didn't he? So I told Andy, I said, Andy, if you'll repent for your sin of unbelief, and if you'll believe that promise, I'll pray that prayer of faith for you, 
And if you believe, I guarantee the king will heal your back. I guarantee he will. Did he guarantee it? So he repented. We prayed the prayer of faith. And I said, thank you, Lord, for healing him because you made me and Andy the promise. I said, now, Andy, I've got to go to Bible study. But I said, call me in the morning with your praise report. Now, see, what do we say? Well, if it's God's will, maybe in the morning or next week you won't have no pain. No, well, that ain't going to work. That prayer will not work. Why will that prayer will not work? Well, you know, everybody says, you know, God sometimes answers yes and sometimes no. And sometimes maybe or sometimes later. You got a scripture for that? No, there ain't no scripture for that, is there? But there's what? Amen. You read the word close, see. The Lord, the man came, the leper, in Mark, first chapter. He came up and said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. He said, I am willing. Now see, this guy didn't have faith to be healed. He said, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. But see, this man's got to have something now to build his faith. What if the Lord said, yeah, but you old leper, I ain't willing. Then he could have not had faith, right? But when Jesus said, I am willing. Now what can the guy do? Oh! Can, what can he have faith for, young lady? If the king is willing to heal me, then when the king reached out and touched me and say, be clean. He says, thank you, Lord. And immediately what happened to the leper? He was clean. He was healed. But he had to believe, didn't he? He had to believe. Well, just like Andy, I told Andy, I said, if you will believe, I'll pray the prayer of faith for you, and I'll guarantee you the king will heal you based around Matthew 18, 19. Because did the king say if two of us on earth agreed about anything? Anything? He'll do it? And so, I prayed the prayer of faith for him, and, of course, God instantly healed him. Right there. Yes, ma'am. Are we on? Are we on, Dave? Let me see. Let me look in this little window down here. Yeah, you're on. Uh, Am I on? Yeah, yeah. Okay, now. God bless you, Mr. Scribner. Um, by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. And um, so God bless you. You prayed for me, and my back got healed. Um, I ask you to pray for my back, and... Then I had to go a little while because I had to learn that lesson of just keep trusting and keep staying on the word. And I haven't had any pain. I had shooting pains going down my leg and everything. And you also, oh, I watched you on the video. And when you prayed for somebody else, I just stood up and pretended like you were praying for me. And so um, I was scheduled to go to the doctor the next day and go under. And, um, well, I asked the Lord about it because I said, well, I'm supposed to be healed. And really, he told me, he said, well, go ahead and go so they can tell you you're healed. And so I went, and I went under it. And when I came back, I mean, uh, out of the anesthesia, they said, um, I said, well, how'd it go? And so, well, we <laughs> didn't have to do anything. You're just perfectly fine, you know. Praise the Lord. And, um, <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. 
<laughs> and, I, and I really just wanted to share this because this is kind of an unusual thing I had to go through. Just last night, I started getting a real bad sore throat, you know, and I spent the whole day asking the Lord, what is my sin? And I, I went through a few, but it didn't take my sore throat away. And then um, last night, he showed it to me. He said, well, you know, you have something to say. And if you don't say it, that's like unbelief, and you're, and, and that's why I had the sore throat. And I made up my mind last night, okay, as soon as I get to work, I'm going to speak up about this, and I have to say something. I'm accountable, and my sore throat went away instantly. Well, how about that? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Did the Lord tell you when He does something for you to praise Him? Uh, do you think God gets, He loves for us to tell the wonderful things He does for us? If you do something nice for someone, do you like it when they praise you? I never met a human being that didn't. I mean, I'm going to tell you how it works right quick with men and women. If you haven't figured it out yet, every woman needs to be told she's loved. Every day. A man don't want to hear it. He don't have to be told he's loved. He, you know what a man needs? What? What did you say? To be praised. Needs to be praised and be told. The woman can walk up to her husband and say, you might have just hung a picture. And she said, that's the most perfect picture hanging. You can, there ain't nobody hanging a picture like you can. You know? She may say, you're the smartest guy. I'm so glad I married you. That's what her husband wants to hear. But he don't want her. He, he, he don't do nothing for him for the wife to walk in and say, I sure do love you. It don't help much. That's not, but the wife, she's got to hear that. She's got to hear her husband say, I love you. That's the difference between men and women. And that's why it's so hard for the man. When men are working with men, one of them does something good. Boy, you want to slap him on the back. You know, big old boy here, you know, runs up slapping on the back and say, You know, praise God, that's a good job you've done there. Man, that makes him feel nine feet tall. I woke up and said, you know, I love you. I don't do, ah, who cares whether you love me or not? But I, you did a good job. Praise God. Let me slap you on the back. Whoa! He feels nine feet tall. Well, yeah, they do. They are. But it's not near like it is for a man. You know, men can walk up and, I mean, it's tough. I know walking in a love relationship, when I talk, to men, it's very difficult for me over the phone to say, Brother, I love you as a man to a man. But I've got to where I have to do that because I realize that that does something for some men. But if it's a woman, man, women love to hear you say, We love you. You have to be careful how you say it to women. You know, you really do. They can take it wrong. You know, they really can. 
But they have to know you're coming from the standpoint of the Lord. When I touch you or say, you know, we love you here at the minister center, I be careful. I don't say, I love you. You know, I have to be very careful. Say, you know, we at the minister, we love you. You know, we'll do anything we can to help you, but we do love you. And, but, you know, you have to be very careful. But they need to hear that. But the guys, man, you slap a guy on the back and say, man, that was a good job. Or you just walk up to him and say, man, that looked good. That's what he wants to hear. But unfortunately, a lot of men don't do a very good job and it's hard to tell them. And then when you tell them, hey, you need to straighten up and do better. They don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that. But I've come to realize if you don't want to hear that and you hear it, then do better the next time and you will hear better. You know. And I got to realizing, hey, if you want to really do everything good, I mean, if you go with everything you do, I don't care if you're, now if you're working for God, this really carries some weight with the king. In fact, I want you to turn to Colossians 3.23 and read it before I go back here and ask this gentleman what he's got his hand up. Colossians 3.23, on this earth, do you think God expects you and me to do a good job in what we do? Well, I want to prove you from the Scripture what God has to say in Colossians 3.23 about what we're supposed to do and how well we're supposed to do it. Colossians 3.23. Okay. You got that, brother? Would you mind reading that or would would you read that for me? Okay, here, let me give you a mic. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Wow. So, did everybody hear what he said? So, what, what are we, what did the Lord tell us to do? Whatever we're doing, how good are we supposed to do it? Hey! You don't want to be like this guy that his father-in-law owned a big contracting company. And he called his son-in-law, was one of his project managers, and said, I want you to build a... a a 5,000 square foot house and I want you to put four bedrooms in it and I want you to make it the most beautiful house and I don't want you to cut no corners nowhere on this house. Fix it beautiful. Exactly the way you would want it. He said, hmm, I know what I'll do. I'll cut all kinds of corners and I'll charge all this money and I'll make all this money and nobody will never know the difference because I'll cut corners where nobody will know for a few years down the road. And so he did. He cut all these corners, but yet he charged his father-in-law all this money so he could make some money. He didn't do it as unto the Lord. He did it as unto himself. When he got the house built... He said, okay, there's this beautiful home, just exactly like you wanted. He said, great, let me walk through and look at it. He looked at it and he said, you really did a good job. Everything you can see looks beautiful. This is exactly what I wanted. He said, here's the key. This is yours, my daughter's new home. Now, how do you think that would make the guy feel? He cut all them corners. And now then in a few years, he's going to spend some serious money of his own. He could have done it right the first time and had a house that would have lasted him forever. But what did God tell you and me to do? Everything we do, we're supposed to do it as unto who? Unto Him. Not You don't do it for me. 
you do it for Him. Everything you do, you do it as unto the Lord. Now, what do you think will happen if we don't, if we're not those diligent people to take the Word of God and do what it says? What do you think is going to happen to us as as disobedient children? What Carl say happened to him as a disobedient child when God told him to do something and he didn't do a good job? What happened to him? What come upon him? Terminal cancer. How many times have I seen this? We've seen this over and over, Carl. Not just your case, but it's really great when I have another testimony like yours when you publicly give it and saying that once you knew God called you to do something, you said, no, chief, I ain't doing it. The Lord says, oh, okay, no big deal. He don't get excited at you. But a few years later, five years later, when you're laying there on your deathbed with terminal, when the doctor said, it's over, hey, and did he have to go through all that surgery and everything? He didn't have to. I am completely convinced, and you may agree or disagree, but if the day God had called you to do what he called you to do, you'd have immediately responded and said, Lord, I'll do it. I don't believe you'd have ever had that sickness and disease, Carl. Do you? Yeah. If just two months before, if you'd have just repented then, you still wouldn't have had it. He believes that too. Well, the thing about it is, we want to make sure, now that we've talked about so many reasons and things that bring sickness and disease upon us, we're going to take a little short break, 15 or 20 minutes, and you can go to the bathroom or go get your tapes and whatever, and Cheryl, she be back there to help you to pick out those of you that didn't know where things were. She knows where everything is back there. And she can show you where everything's at. And then we will come back and uh, do what, we, what we do while we're on break. If you want to give a, minister, a donation to our ministry, we've got a box over here on the side. Or before you leave, if you want to give a donation, you're welcome to drop it in there. We've got uh, little envelopes out there in front for if you want to write on that. And everything, so you want a receipt, you can do that. But it's totally at your freedom to do that as you come and go. All of our material back there is free and everything. You can take anything you want. We don't put a limit on it here at a healing school. So you can take as much as you want. But we're going to take about a 20-minute break. See if we can give you time to walk around a minute, go to the bathroom. And it's 3 o'clock, 3.20. We'll come back. We'll start over. And this afternoon, we'll show you how to repent and the promises to get you healed. That's what you need. Okay, you're dismissed for about 20 minutes. Praise the Lord. I want to thank you for all these wonderful promises that you've made us. And Lord, we're going to take these promises today and we're going to learn how to stand on these promises. So Lord, I want to thank you and praise you for what all you've given us as your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Take your Bible and turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians 1, 3. Now, I used to pray for this. Before I realized I already had it. But I was. I used to pray about a lot of things. 
until I read the Word several times, and then I don't pray for a whole lot anymore because I realize I've already got nearly everything I used to pray for. (laughs) And, you know, it's amazing how that God comes in and He hands us a... Well, I'll just give you a worldly example. He comes in and hands you a $100 bill. You know, and so you put it in your shirt pocket and you go over and you start praying, Oh God, please, if I only had a dollar, I could go buy me a a cup of coffee or a glass of tea. Lord, please, would you give me a dollar? He says, something wrong with you? I give you a hundred of them while ago. You folded it up, put it in your pocket, and now you're out here begging and asking me for a dollar so you can go buy you a cup of tea. What's wrong with you? Well, that's what, that's what we are. Because look what he gives us in Ephesians 1.3. I can see Paul screaming this from the hills of Ephesus as he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So how many of these spiritual blessings or spiritual gifts belongs to you as a Christian? Oh, he didn't cut us short on nothing, did he? All of these things are already ours. Wow. All we've got to do is act on them. And then let's turn over to 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Now then, who is he writing this to? To them that have obtained what? Like precious faith. Now, this faith that we're supposed to have is supposed to come when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, how does faith come? By hearing the Word. Without the Word, you can't have faith until you learn that Jesus has already healed you, that He's already given you all this stuff, and that this is the enemy that's doing this to you. And when you get a hold of this, when you repent and get rid of your sins, and then command the enemy to leave in the name of Jesus, you can get healed. It's wonderful, and I don't have any idea how many people that I have seen this happen, just like we were talking with backs, like the young lady gave her testimony back there a while ago with the backs and and all the stuff we've seen, and, and all the ones I've seen myself over the telephone and everywhere else. I have prayed for hundreds of people, and many of them over the phone, and some of them even with crushed backs, impossible for doctors, and seeing God instantly heal those broken backs. Isn't it amazing what God can do? It, it, we just, all we've got to do is believe Him, isn't it, brother? That's all it takes is believing Jesus. He's still a miracle worker, but He's a faith God. See, now where we've missed it is on these things that He's given us, we don't know these things are ours, and we don't know how to stand on these things. So by not knowing they're ours... When we pray, we pray our good Baptist prayer. Oh, God, please, if it be your will, Lord, please, please, Lord, heal this precious sister here, if it be your will. And what happens? Nothing. Nothing. He never shows up. Well, it must not have been his will, huh? 
No, when you finally got a little prayer group that knew what His will was and they prayed for you, He showed up, didn't He? Yes, He did. Praise God. Well, see, when you learn another little thing, like he, uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? Without faith. So without faith, if it's impossible to please Him, what do you think you're going to get from the king if you don't please him? That's like the, the girl that wants a new car. Or the lady, let's put it that way. She wants a new car. And she hadn't done not one single thing to please her husband in the last six months. Not one. And she comes in one day and says, Honey, I want a new $40,000 car. Can I run down and buy me one? What do you think he's going to say? You don't think there's a chance, huh? (laughs) But what if everything she's done has pleased him? And he is a man of means. He's got money. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she please. I mean, she can't do enough for this guy. She's out there pleasing him. I mean, she's. Fixing him supper, dinner, breakfast, whatever it is. I mean, she's helping him do anything and everything. She's meeting every need he has. She tells him how wonderful he is and all the things, how glad she is she's married to this guy. He's the best at everything. You know, pleases his socks off. You know what? Probably she won't have to ask for the car. Is that right? It'll probably just show up on the doorstep one day. Isn't that the way it works? Sure it does. So if you can't please God without faith, what do you think the chances are of Him just showing up on the doorstep one day without anything else happening? You think that's going to happen? No. It's not going to, you've got to please the King. And if you please Him by repenting and come to Him in faith, now then, He says, If you don't come to me in faith, you cannot please me. In other words, come to me on behalf of my word. He says, if you have obtained this like precious faith, if you have obtained this like precious faith. Now then, like precious faith, I used to think I knew what faith was until I learned what it was. And then I realized I had no clue what it was. You know, I used to think, oh God, if it be your will, please heal my sister here or whatever when I prayed as a Baptist deacon. But obviously it was never God's will because nothing ever happened. But when I learned what His will was and when I learned that it was demons, that's just like Mr. Fred Simmons. Fred is an elderly gentleman now, but he was fairly elderly 10, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, whatever it was. Whenever he came to church one night and he says, Guys, He was a deacon at the First Baptist Church where I was a member. He said, before we go home tonight, tonight's Sunday night, I want you all to pray for me because I've been to the doctor and they have, Friday, they checked my blood and everything. It's so bad. They say, I've got prostate cancer and I've got to have surgery in the morning at 7 o'clock. So I want you all to pray for me. Well, he had enough faith to come. Well, we got ready to leave that night and dismissed church and forgot to pray for him. So I jumped up, you know, hey, 
Brother Fred asked us to pray for him. We hadn't prayed. I said, I know most of y'all in here don't believe in healing like I do. But I said, I believe with all my heart, Jesus will heal you, Fred, if you'll make sure your sins are repented of. And then he told me in Mark 16, verse 17 and 18, These signs shall follow them that believe. And I'm a believing believer. I said, in the name of Jesus, the devils will leave you, and I can lay hands on you, and Jesus will heal you. I said, can I do that for you, Fred? He said, sure you can, Thurman. I looked up at our little 32-year-old master's degree Baptist preacher, and I said, you want to lay hands on him with me? He said, I will. So he come down there, and of course he had seen three miraculous healings in that church already that I'd been involved in. So, and two of them was his own family. One of them was his sister, and one of them was his daughter. So it's kind of hard not to believe that this works. So anyway, I run over there and I said, come on down here, Martin. And he come down there and laid hands on Fred Simmons with me. And I rebuked the devil. I said, you devil of prostate cancer, come out of him in Jesus' name. You don't hear that much in a Baptist church. I said, now Lord, you told me to drive out this devil. And I got a hold of Fred. I said, you told me to drive out this devil and lay hands on the sick and I get healed. So I said, Fred, you're healed because Jesus made you the promise. And I just kind of shoved him out of the way. I said, now the rest of you all pray however you want to. I already done it in the name of Jesus. So, you know, some of my good brothers, you know, they're standing there. Oh, God, please, Lord, when Brother Fred goes to the doctor tomorrow, please, Lord, if it be your will, will you help the doctors get all the cancer? You ever heard a prayer like that before? Oh, Lord. Anyway, I'd already done my deal. I'd already got rough with the devil, kicked him out, laid hands on him. In faith, everybody else prayed that wanted to pray. We went home that night. Next morning, Fred went to the doctor and didn't. The doctor checked his blood, and he said, Fred, I don't know what's happened since Friday. But he said, your blood is perfect. He said, before I do any surgery on you, I'm going to do another test. So when he had done another test, and come back and said, Fred, I don't know what happened to you, but you're a lucky critter. He said, get up, put your clothes on, go home. You don't have prostate cancer no more. <laughs> Fred's wife told everybody in Justin about that. I guarantee you want something told, tell it to a woman. I guarantee she told what God had done for her. She, I mean, God got glory in that place. That was one Baptist woman. I mean, she told everybody, everybody, not just in the Baptist church, but everybody in Justin heard about that miracle that God done for her husband. And one day somebody told me something said, Miss Simmons said she needed to be prayed for. She had a little problem. Said she's looking for you. I said, well, how about somebody else? She said, no, there ain't nobody in town she's going to pray for except you. Why do people do that? Because they see results. They see results. You know, if you know you can take your car down to a certain dealer, and you know when you take it in or you leave it there and leave it with confidence, when you come back the car is going to be fixed, you just take it and leave it with them say, whatever it takes, fix it. If you know you can trust these guys, you've been down there, they proved it. If you took it down there and they didn't fix it and they charged you an arm and leg, after about two or three times like that, you find you another place, right? Well, it's the same way with the kingdom of God. When we do something, when we come up with people that have obtained this like precious faith, like Peter said, he said, how do we get this like precious faith? Through the righteousness of God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ.
He's the one that paid the price. He's the one that had this, uh, all this happen. Jesus is the one that has, has made you and me the righteousness of God in Christ. And then if you turn back just a couple of pages here to James chapter 1, I'm going to show you why that prayer that I just spoken, like I heard in the Baptist church or in many other churches so many times, I want to show you why that don't work. I want you to turn back to James 1, verse 6 and 7. Actually, let's read verse 5 too, because that's talking about if we need wisdom. And how many people do you know needs wisdom? Hey, I think all of us need wisdom, but we don't go to the right place to get it. Now it says in verse 5 of James 1, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. I mean, he freely gives it, and he upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. In other words, if you lack wisdom, you ask God, and what does he do? He give it to you. I mean, it is free. Right there, if that's as far as you read, you think, well, I can just ask any way I want to, and God will just give it to me, right? But he qualified it in the next verse. But when you ask, you must ask in... Oh! Here's a young lady that went a step further. She said, without wavering... In other words, no doubting. Is that what you're trying to say there, right? What, couldn't we have a little? No. I mean, you don't think God is understanding that He would let us... Ha- have just a little bit of wavering? No, no. Why can you be so precise on that? That's what he said. Oh, that's what he said. Uh, now, here's a girl that she'll stay out of trouble because she's reading the Word just like it's written. I mean, that's the way you've got to read the Word of God, right? But if you lack wisdom, let him ask God, which gives liberally. I mean, no problem. But... Let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that person think that they shall receive anything. I mean, he's really precise there, isn't he? If we waver, what are we going to get? Nothing. So you want to know when Jesus said, I'll do something, I guarantee. Why do you think I say, I guarantee He'll do it? Because who guaranteed it to me? The King. I mean, if the King guaranteed it to you, I can't think of nobody better to guarantee something to me than the King. Can you, young lady? No. No. Yeah. When you buy that new Ford or that new Chevrolet or that new Chrysler or whatever you buy, if they warranty that thing for three years, five years, or ten years, whatever they do, you got it in writing. If they say you've got a three-year warranty, anything goes wrong with that car for three years, you back down at that dealer, right? You don't stop at somebody else's garage and pay to get it fixed because they guaranteed it for three years. And you expect them to honor what they say, right? Sure, no problem. You ain't sweating it for three years. You know, and here God made all these promises of faith. If we just believe it, and He says, if we ask in faith, we please Him. If we don't ask in faith, we don't please Him. And so, if we don't ask in faith, He don't show up. And if He don't show up, guess what we get? Nothing. 
That's absolutely right. Nothing. But when the king shows up, you can get healed, can't you, Carl? Yes. Absolutely praise God you can get healed when the king shows And it don't make no difference what you got. I mean, ain't nothing hard for him, is there? Nothing. Yeah, for those of you that may or may not have heard this testimony of, of Caitlin's miracle back there, I mean, that is the most awesome thing I have ever seen God do. I mean, he put that little girl's brain stem back together. You know, he put her head back together. He fixed that beautiful little face that was tore all to pieces. And I mean to tell you today, that little face has not got one single scar on it. She is eight years, and that day I walked in and looked at her, that face was tore all to pieces. All the bones around her eyes were broken. Skull was crushed in five places. Brain stem severed. Eyes jerked out of the brain. That's just the beginning. That's just the head up. It was went, got worse as it went on down. You know, lungs, knees, crushed, lay, left leg broken in two places, all kinds of things. And without one single surgery, without one, the king put that little girl back together. Just like little Kelly. I mean, she was going to walk with a walker maybe in two and a half to three months. Maybe start learning to walk with a walker. And I said, nope. Ain't no way. We ain't going there with the promises in this book. If to those of us thus that have obtained like precious faith, and listen to what he says. Go on down a little further. This like precious, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through the knowledge of Him. According as His divine power has given unto us a few things that pertain unto life and godliness. Oh, somebody said I didn't read that just right. He's given us how much? Now, is there any difference between all and a few? <laughs> That's why you've got to watch a preacher when he reads the Word. Obviously, we don't read this right. You need to look at it. According as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, and whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these great and precious promises we might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now then, if you have a problem, and you have a problem like I had with Kelly, and her pelvics are crushed, and the doctor said, and her head's busted open. And the doctor said, if she lives, she probably have brain damage. And it'll be two and a half to three months minimum before she can walk with a walker. Now, you've got a choice when the doctor tells you these things. Now, they go by what they've seen. This is average. The average child with a crushed pelvic in a car wreck does take two and a half to three months to start walking with a walker. But that's not people of faith. That's not us. That's not the church he's talking about. This is the world. But the church has just slipped right into the world system. You know, we don't claim these promises. Now, he said he's talking about these great and precious promises. Turn back. Let's go to a few of those. I want you to turn back to the book of John. And I want you to turn to John 16. Verse 23 and 24. John 16, 23 and 24. 
And I want you to see this promise. This is one of those great and precious promises that by these great and precious promises, you can become a partaker of the divine nature of God. Now, I use this for Kelly with a crushed head, a broken, uh, crushed pelvis, and the doctor saying, if she lives, she'll have brain damage and be two and a half, three months before she can walk with a walker. Well, let's see what Jesus said about that if we can step over into the world of faith. In verse 23, he said, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, put your name right there, personalize the Word of God, I say unto Thurman that whatsoever Thurman shall ask the Father in my name, the name of Jesus, he will give it to Thurman. I see, that's the way you personalize the Word of God. Is that what he's saying there? Put your name there, just like I did. And then he says, Before now, or hitherto, have you asked nothing in my name? Ask, and you shall receive. Is that a promise from God? That your joy may be full. Now, if I got those two promises, I got a little girl laying there with a head busted open and a pelvis crushed, then I need to say, he said I can ask whatever I want to. I said, the Father, in Jesus' name, according to John 16, 23 and 24. Now see, Lord, you call the Lord in remembrance of His promises because He watches over His Word to perform His words. He made the promises and you call Him in remembrance of His promises. You personalize them to you. And then I say, Father, in Jesus' name, I'm going to ask you to heal her little head. Make it like brand new. And I don't want any brain damage. In fact, I want the brain better than it was before. You know, I want them sharp, clear, perfect, no brain damage whatsoever. And I want you to heal those little pelvics in such a quick period of time that in such a short period of time, everybody here will know only you could have done it. And I said, I guarantee she'll be out of here nothing flat because my Jesus does good work. Well, everybody thinks, well, you know, you're kind of, you know, you know, kind of flaky here, you know, Christians. You know how Christians are. We're kind of flaky, right? Well, when you step into the world of faith, they really think you're flaky. Even the Christians think you're flaky. You're standing on God's Word. They think you're flaky. But I wouldn't take it. I wouldn't take nothing. Nope, I ain't going there. Jesus made me the promise. That's it. But Thurman, give me a... I, nope, I am not going there. Jesus said I could have it. I'm, I'm standing on it. You guys are going to see my king do the most awesome work you've ever seen. Well, in one week, she's out of ICU. One more week, she is out of the hospital, standing, walking with a walker. And even the Baptist church realized that second Sunday when they saw her come to church, walking with a walker. We, obvious from the pulpit, it was spoken for the pulpit in the Baptist church. Today, we have seen God do a miracle. She's right back there. You know, it's obvious God still does miracles. I thought, praise God. Even the Baptists, you know, when we see it, we can believe it sometimes. Praise God for the Baptists. I was one of them for 65 years. But anyway, three days later, she had thrown away the walker back in school, running and playing like nothing ever happened. Now, our Jesus is still on the throne and still doing miracles. Now, what they said would take three months took two and a half weeks. 
And the doctors said, no explanation. There's only one. And it has to be God. I mean, even when doctors, when they see a little girl, of course, the little girl had two huge scars. Three months later, three months later, I was at a birthday party. And I hadn't seen her. I'd been with Caitlin all this time. And so I went to the birthday party, and there she was, and her little bangs grew down to here. I said, ah, honey, how are you doing? Oh, Mr. Thurman, I'm doing good, but I hate these big scars on my head. I said, what scars? She raised her hair up. She said, look, wow, two huge scars. I said, oh, Jesus don't want them on there either. But I said, he's got to have a man of faith. Pray the prayer of faith for you before he can take them off. Now, do you believe Jesus can take off scars? If you say yes, then that's the first time. If you say, well, I don't know. Well, there ain't no use you praying then. Ain't no use you praying. If you don't think the king can't do this, there ain't no use you coming because you're wavering. And you just told me a while ago, if you wavered at all, he would not answer your prayer. Because you read that out of the book. And you believed him, didn't you, young lady? So you ain't going to pray and wavering no more, are you? Absolutely not. Now then, turn back to John 14, 13, and 14, and I want you to see the two promises I used to pray over Kelly's head. Look at these two promises. John 14, 13, and 14. What does he say? John 14, 13, and 14. And whatsoever you, put your name there, and whatsoever Thurman shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If Thurman shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. And did your Bible read something like that too? Well, now, you know, I just thought I'm supposed to use these things. I thought that's what he put them in the book for. Ain't that what you think? Oh, it does now. <laughs> Isn't it amazing, young lady, how we could have this book all these years and read all this, and we didn't believe him. It's amazing what's in your Bible, isn't it, young lady? Isn't it amazing what's in your Bible? Yeah. Don't you love it? Oh, I love it too. When I learned it and started standing on it, I started seeing God do all these wonderful things. So then, I mean, what the king, if, if, if I got this little girl's got these two huge scars on her head and she don't like it, she has to wear her bangs down so they'll hide them. Does she have to have those scars? No, not if you believe God. Because what he said I could ask for in John 14, 13 and 14? What? Whatever? That reckon that includes scars? Well, I thought it did. So I knelt there and prayed. And when I asked the Father, I said, Father, according to those two promises, ask you to remove those scars from Kelly's forehead. She don't like them, and I don't like them, and I know you don't like them. So you gave me one of these promises so we can become protectors of your divine nature. And I don't believe you got scars nowhere except in your hands, feet, and in your side. And you left those there for us to see. So we would know who you are. So a counterfeit can't come. One day when a guy walks up and says, I'm Jesus, he said, let me see your hand. And there's a whole plumb through. You can see through. And you say, let me see that other one. And there's one there. And you say, let me see your feet. 
Then he says, would you like to see my side too? But this time he's going to say, stop doubting, Thomas. <laughs> That's what Thomas said, wasn't it? But he, he let him see him. So, see, put your hand in my side and stop being faithless. Believe. So I prayed the prayer. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to take those two scars off of Kelly's head. I said, Lord, thank you. It's done. Because it's written in your word. I said, Kelly, you know you've got to believe. She said, Mr. Thurman, I believe Jesus. I said, that's all we need, honey. That's all we need. I said, you have to really believe with no doubt. Well, the next morning, she goes home. She gets up. She wakes up. She runs into the bathroom, throws her bangs up and looks in there and says, Mama, look. They're not as bad this morning as they were yesterday. She says, doesn't Mr. Thurman do good work? He says, honey, it's not Mr. Thurman. It's Jesus. She said, oh, Mama, I know it's Jesus. But Mr. Thurman knows how to get Jesus to do good things. <laughs> now, see, a little six or seven-year-old girl had learned that. And so every day she went in there and said, thank you, Lord, that my scars are gone. Thirty days later, when her mother brought her to church... She sat down beside me, and her mother sat on the other side. She reached over and flopped her bangs up to Thurman, look. And guess what? They're gone. They're gone. What kind of a Jesus did we serve? That's just like the young man that works for us. Philip, he's not here today, but Philip, 11 years ago, when I went to their home, he was an 11-year-old boy. He's 22 now. Philip's body was covered with warts, and scars where they had burned them off. I took, after I got that family's sins repented of, I took Matthew eighteen nineteen, the prayer of agreement. Where we read that a while ago. Jesus said again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything, I'll do it for you. I took that same verse, knelt in the floor, prayed to a holy God, and asked Him to take away all of Philip's warts and scars. And he had big old scars on his hands where they had burnt those things off. They come right back in it. And I stood up and his mother said, when are they going to come off? I said, that's the only thing God don't tell me is when. But I said, I'm going to guarantee you, Mama, on the Word of the living God, they're going to come off. Now, do you hear any faith in that? Do you hear any wavering in that? Now, does that turn the king on? Without faith, it's impossible to please me. Well, if he said it, I guarantee he'll do what he said he'll do. And let me tell you what happened to Philip. The next morning, whenever he woke up, the warts on the ends of his fingers were already gone. And over the next three weeks, every wart on Philip's body disappeared. And then that third Sunday, that Baptist mother, when she come in there, I don't get to see a charismatic mother in a Baptist church very often, but I had one that Sunday. Praise God. Baptists can get charismatic when they see Jesus show up. I mean, we, <laughs> I get so tickled. She says, Thurman, I ain't never seen nothing like this. I've been in church all my life. Never have I seen an answer to prayer like this. Look, all of Philip's warts is gone. There ain't nothing left but them big old scars on the back of his hand. I said, now, Mama, don't stop believing now. And next Sunday, he won't have no Scars. Now, how can I make a statement like that? Turn to Mark eleven twenty three and see what that says. Mark eleven twenty three. 
See, these great and awesome promises that are in this book. Faith comes by hearing the Word. Learning what God done for you. Mark 11, 23. What did Jesus say you could do with Mark 11, 23? Mark 11, 23. For verily or truly... What did the verse before that say? And Jesus answering, saying to them, Have faith in God. Have the God kind of faith. If you don't have God kind of faith, forget it. You ain't going to see Him do nothing. But if you got the God kind of faith... Amen. There's a man that just made the right... You can do anything. That's right. Because look what he says. For verily or truly I say unto you that whosoever shall say... Now that put my name right there again. This is where I personalize. For Jesus I say that Thurman shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in Thurman's heart... But shall believe that those things which Thurman says shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. What is mine in your limitations? What we say in faith. We limit the power of God by what we say. So I said, I knew that verse, I said, Mama, don't you dare cast away your confidence in the Lord, and next Sunday when you all come to church, Philip won't have any scars. Now, what kind of faith does it take to make a declaration like that? All you got to do is believe what the king said. Complete faith. Next Sunday morning, that mama walked in and said, Thurman, look, come over here. Would you look? Would you look at Philip? There's not a wart or a scar left on that little boy's body. Now, that boy today is 22 years old. He's about this tall. He works for us at the ministry center. You've seen him regular. You've seen him. He don't have a wart or a scar on his body. In fact, this beautiful little girl that he married, they're going to have their first baby here, I think, in October or something like that. And uh, one day, uh, right after I married them, I got tickled. And I told her, I said, uh, Kristen, let me ask you a question. I said, uh, look up at that good-looking, handsome chunk of boy you married. And she said, yeah, isn't he something? I said, yeah, he is something. But I said... How would you like to kiss him if he had warts coming out of his nose and hanging off his mouth and off his chin and off his lips? She said, ooh. I said, Philip, you never told her. He said, no. She said, what do you mean you never told me? I said, tell her what you looked like when you was 11 from the time you were 3 till you were 11. She said, what's he trying to say? He said, well, warts started coming up all over my body when I was 3. And said, when I was 11, they were all over my face, all over my neck, all over my hands, my legs, my feet. Said, I burned a bunch of them off. My doctors burned them off my hands. But said, they came right back in the scars and said, all the kids at school called me warty. I was a terrible looking critter. I said, Christy, how would you like to kiss that? She said, no, thank you. I said, but because your husband met a man that believed God. I went over and got your mother, his mother and daddy to repent of their sins and I prayed the prayer of faith for him and the king of the universe took every wart and every scar off his body within one month. I said, today you married a handsome boy that in 11 years hadn't had a wart or a scar because of the great and awesome precious promises of God and all I did was believe them. Now then, if they work for me, who will they work for? Amen. Anybody work for you too, won't it, young lady? 
When you start praying, in fact, just like I got an email the other day, from, or actually a voicemail. A guy called and said, I don't know who you are yet. But he said, somebody gave me one of your CDs yesterday. I've sent my wife to the hospital, or took her, and she's in ICU, and the doctor says she probably ain't going to wake up. And said, I was up that hospital, moaning and groaning, and somebody said, listen to this CD. He said, I said, what's it? said, this will change your life. He said, I went home right quick, put that in the car or whatever, and I listened to that CD. said, I come back up there, and I prayed over my wife in faith after I repented of every sin. And he said, this morning she woke up in good shape. He said, I don't know, I don't know who you are yet, but he said, what you're doing works. He said, don't never stop what you're doing. <laughs> hey, that's the kind of testimonies I love to hear. That devil was killing his wife, probably had a legal right to her through sin of unbelief and everything else. And he got a hold of this and who he was and what he can do as a son of God and these great and awesome promises. Lord, I repent of all of my sins, unbelief, go in there and lay hands on my wife, kick them devils out of her and say, be healed in the name of Jesus. Now, God, thank you for doing it because you made me the promise. And the next morning, his wife wakes up. Is that awesome? Now, what? That's available to how many of us as Christians? Every one of us. All we got to do is believe God. I mean, He's the one who wrote the book, isn't it? He told us what to do. Just look what He says there. What did He say you could do to that mountain? You can move it. And not only can you move that mountain, He said He goes even beyond that. He said, whatever you say out of that mouth, if you believe it with your heart, you can have whatever you say. Thank you, Lord, that I am in perfect health. Thank you, Lord, that no tumors, no growths, no nothing will be allowed from the devil to attach itself to my physical body. Never, because I'm a child of God. I will not allow that devil to attack me in the name of Jesus. I am a child of the king. I do not belong to the devil. I belong to Jesus. This is his body. That's just like Keith the other day that normally sits right over there on Sunday. Keith is an airline pilot. And he's learning these things now. He's been coming here for him and his wife for a long time. He got out of town and something attacked his eye. And he called the minister and we prayed for him and he got worse. That's the way the devil works. So he could not get healed. He had to fly home as a crew member. Not, not as the pilot. And he got home. He said, I made the decision. When I got home, I was just really hurting. I said, I said exactly what you said. Lord, this body does not belong to me. When I got saved, I gave it to you. I know you're big enough to heal your body. So I am rebuking this devil, commanding him to leave. And I'm turning this body over to you. And when I wake up in the morning, ain't going to be nothing wrong with my eye in the name of Jesus. He said, I went to bed that night in total faith. And he said, the next morning I woke up, opened my eyes, and I could see perfect out of both of them. And he said, I've had no more problem with my eyes. What did the Lord say you could have there in Mark eleven twenty three? What did he say you could have as a child of God? Whatever you say with your mouth, if you believe it with your heart. Now, what if the devil don't leave right now? Uh-oh. That's where we say, ouch, the devil's there, and the battle is raging. But does that mean we're going to be the winners or losers? It depends on where we stand. If you give up, you're going to be the loser. Did Paul say we didn't, we're not having a boxing match? We're having a 
wrestling match. You know the difference between wrestling and boxing? When you wrestle, you walk up into the arena and you both lock hold. One of you gets this one, the other gets the other, and you're just going at it. You're trying to throw the other one down. And both of you is resisting. And this is what we're doing when we're fighting with the devil. Now, boxing match, you slip in there, you get the right punch, bam, he's out. Just like that. But it don't happen like that too much in the kingdom of God. You don't get to punch the devil and him be gone like that very often. Very rarely. Because you're locked in a wrestling match. Just like the Word says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Hey, I can't see this beast I'm wrestling with. He's invisible. But I know he's there. Because when I got pain or suffering, I know he's there. I'm wrestling with an invisible shadow called a demon. And they come to steal, kill, and to destroy. If I repent of my sins, I have all power and authority over them, and they have to be subject to me. I can drive them out. With these great and precious promises, Mark eleven twenty three. what can you do with Mark eleven twenty three? Hey, ain't no limitation. Have you noticed that God didn't give us hardly any limitation in none of these promises? Look at the next one. Verse 24. He didn't stop with verse 23. Verse 24, He said, You can have whatever you say with your mouth if you believe it with your heart. Then He says in verse 24, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever you desire. What's the limitation there? None. Whatever you desire. When you pray, believe you have received them and you shall have them. Now, I'm going to tell you a story right here on this one that will show you what faith is. When we took my granddaughter home in the hospital, the flapper valve in her throat didn't work. I didn't know it didn't work all this time. We were in ICU for a month. But when we took her out of there and took her home, they told us that we put a little plug in her tummy. You'll have to take the little plug out of that and put this little deal in there and pump the fluid, the food, inside of her stomach Three times a day. That's the only way you can feed her. I said, why? They said, because the flapper valve in the back of her throat don't work. You know there's a little valve in your throat that when you swallow, if it's food, it goes down one side, and if it's air, it goes down another side. Now, I don't know all in technical terms. I just know there's a flapper valve in there that separates that off. And so when you breathe... It moves one way and lets air go down. When you swallow it, closes and lets food go down another way. Otherwise, water and food would run into your lungs and it would kill you. So that little valve's got to work. Hers didn't work for some strange reason. So the doctor says, you must feed her through her stomach. I said, okay. So I go home and I think with this promise, Mark eleven twenty four, I get this valve fixed. Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive it, and you shall have them. Guarantee from God. I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask you to fix the valve in Caitlin's throat. Thank you, Lord. It's done. 
Well, I keep feeding her with the pump for two months. Thanking the Lord, Lord, thank you this valve works. Feed her with a pump. Two months later, take her down to the doctor. He checks it. It don't work. I said, what? It's got to work. The Word said it worked. He said, I'm sorry, sir. I don't care what you say. I've checked it. It does not work. I said, wait a minute. So I go back home. I said, Lord, I sin somewhere. I repent. Now, Lord, you said, let me read this one more time. You know, sometimes you can read this and you don't get it. I mean, we're, we're dense, you know that? I guess I gotta be. For 40 years, I didn't see God do nothing. I carried the same book for all those years. Isn't it a shame? Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, you shall have them. I said, okay, I read that right. I said, okay, Lord, I desire that the valve work in Caitlin's throat. Thank you, Lord. It's done. I believe it. Fade her two more months with a pump. Take her down to the doctor, and it don't work. Now, wait a minute. After we go through this five times, ten months, at the tenth month I come home, I said, look, God, you made me a promise. And I know the problem's not with you. So it's got to be right here. Because it's just between me and you. My little granddaughter, she ain't got nothing to do with this. This is totally my faith. But my faith ain't working. So I get this Bible down. And I get tickled when people say, well, I've read the New Testament three times. So I know everything there is to know about it. There's, time, there's th- parts of this thing we've read hundreds of times. And we don't have it, do we, Ty? So anyway, I've read this. So for the next two weeks now, the next two weeks I meditate on one verse. I go back and get to it. I said, Lord, therefore, it says, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. I said, now, Lord, I desire that valve work in Caitlin's throat. That's what I desire. He said, well, then, when you pray. When? Two months later when I take her to the doctor? Or when I pray? What did he say? When I pray. When I pray, believe that you receive and you shall have it. Is that what the king says? Is he a faith God? He expects you to believe? If you don't believe, what do you get from him? So I repented. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't believe. I repent. I confess every sin, known and unknown. Now, Lord, I'm taking that verse. I'm praying over my granddaughter's throat. I'm asking you to fix it according to Mark 11, 24. And thank you, Lord, it's done. Praise God, it works. Walked across the street. And I said, Toby, God's waiting on me and you. He said, what do you mean? I said, Caitlin's valve works this morning. He said, Thurman, we just got back from the doctor two weeks ago, and you know what that doctor said? I said, I know what he said. He said, it ain't never going to work, but he's wrong. I said, that that works right now. He said, how do you know it works? How do I know it works? That's right. The Word said it worked. If God said it, and I believe I received, that little valve is working. So what am I supposed to do? Feed her. She's ready to eat. I get some applesauce out and a little bottle of orange juice. And I said, Caitlin, honey, come in here. She comes running in there sits down to the table. I said, honey, eat that applesauce for granddaddy. Toby said, Thurman, what if you're wrong? Amen. 
I am not because Jesus made me the promise and He's the King of kings and Lord of lords and God of gods and He's behind His Word. He is alive and well. This will put your faith to the test, won't it? This will put you to the test. At that time, I only had one grandbaby. And the daughter that brought her into the world is in heaven with her mother. And so she ain't going to bring me no more. Now, if I'm wrong, what am I going to do? I'm going to kill her. I'm going to watch her choke to death right in front of my eyes if I'm wrong. Will this put your faith to the test? Yes. So when I say, I've been there and had my test, you're going through yours right now. You know that, don't you? You're going to make it too, aren't you? Yes. You ain't going to waver, are you? No. You're not going to waver with him either, are you? No. Amen. Praise the King. Amen. But anyway, she sat down there and ate that little bowl of applesauce and drank half of that little bottle of juice and got down and run and played and she's been eating and drinking normal ever since. Now that's faith. That's real faith. You know, when you say you've been put to the test, you can't preach faith if you had never been there. But I've been there. And I've seen it happen over and over and over. And I, what I used to think was faith was not faith at all. Now then, I know what real faith is. Just like this beautiful young lady right here says. She said, whenever I was prayed for by that little team of people that really knew what they were doing, the next morning when I lined them pills up, what did you say, 13 of them? 13 of them? Jesus spoke to me and said, you don't need them pills no more. I have healed you. See? But thank God if He hadn't spoke to you, you'd probably never got your healing. You'd have just kept right on. You would have never believed the King. But see, God is behind His Word. And if God wasn't behind His Word to help some of us out like that, we are so stupid and dense in the church. If He hadn't spoke to me audibly, I would have never stepped into this world of faith. Isn't that a shame that I can't believe what's written in the book? I had to hear an audible voice. Thank God He spoke to us. Aren't you grateful? You got your healing, and I've learned how to walk in faith, but without the King's intervention to teach me these things, but everything He's taught me is already written right here in the book. And I just won't believe. But when you believe, what will He do? Exactly what He said. The king is alive and well today. Yes, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, but he's also right here in this room. Because every one of you that's a true believer in Jesus brought him with you. He's in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So he's here. So with these promises that we have, as we take these promises today, and we pray for you, You can take any one of these promises you want to. And just like Caitlin, some of you will get healed instantly. We've had people healed instantly. Many people Jesus has healed instantly right here in this room. But many He's healed over a matter of hours or even days or even like Philip. Of course, Philip, that was 11 years ago, way before I got started in the ministry. And I was still working as an engineer. I just went up to their house on Sunday afternoon just as a Baptist deacon. 
I mean, a Baptist deacon knelt in the floor and prayed and then guaranteed a mother and daddy that their son was going to get healed. Because he disbelieved God. And God showed up. And Philip will never be the same. Never. But you won't never be the same either. You have a question? Or, oh, want to share something? Okay. Praise the King. Let me break the mic back there and then we'll... Okay. Uh, we're from out of town, um, and so we don't get here but every few months. And God does so many things in our lives that we can't, we don't have time to tell them all. But there's a couple uh, that I want to share with you real quickly because I know it will be an encouragement to everyone here and goes right along with what Thurman has been uh, teaching today. And plus, it, it uh, brings glory and honor to the Lord, and we do want to declare His glory and His works. Um, we had, One Sunday we attended a um, Christian uh meeting in a, in a home, and during a break, uh, I went to the restroom, but when I came out, Kathy was praying with this mother whose uh, little daughter, I think she's about two years old or something, um, had an eye problem. Her tear ducts didn't work, and she was just a baby, not more than two years old, and, um, and so the baby was in pain all the time with dry eyes, and they were putting drops in. Anyway, it was a real concern to the mother, and so Kathy, of course, told her about the healing scriptures, and uh, uh, about believing God's word. So Kathy was praying uh, with the mother for the baby's eyes when I came out. And so I came up to him and I laid hands on him and was agreeing with Kathy's prayer and everything. But we never saw the people uh, again after that. But about three months later, uh, our son and daughter-in-law told us about a friend of theirs that had a bad illness. And so we went home, got one of Thurman's tapes, took it to our son and said, promise us you'll give this to the man because um, he needs to hear this. And so um, about two weeks later, we were eating with our son and daughter-in-law. And we said, did you give the tape to the man? He said, well, no, but I know he got it because before I could get it to him, I ran into his son-in-law. And I said, uh, my parents have sent this tape to give to your father-in-law. Will you promise me to give it to him? And he said, oh, yes, I will definitely make sure he gets it because I know who your parents are. They prayed for my little girl's eyes. And the next day, her eyes were healed. Amen. Praise the King. Glory to God. And so this was, uh, uh, you know, uh, just a real encouragement to us. Plus, our son and daughter-in-law got to hear this from their friend that his parents prayed for this girl. She was healed because, uh, you know, we've been telling about the Scripture, but they still have a lot of unbelief. The prayer of faith works, doesn't it? (laughs) Yes. And one more real quickly. About a month ago, a friend of ours uh, who is a horseshoer got kicked by a horse. And he had this big knot come up on his uh, leg between his uh, knee and his uh, foot and uh, got so bad that he went to the hospital. The doctor said it was a hematoma and that uh, it was bad and they might even have to take his leg off. They gave him antibiotics and whatever other pills they could, told him to keep his leg up all the time. And, and for two weeks, he went back and forth to the doctor and they gave him whatever treatment they knew to give him. And during those two weeks, his leg got worse and worse. And on a Friday, um, the doctor said, I'm going to give you an appointment for the next Tuesday. If it's not any better by then, we're going to have to amputate your leg. So we heard about this, and we said, um, could we come down Sunday afternoon and, and see you all? And they said yes. And so we went down there, and we were there from 3 until 7, so for, up until 10. For seven hours, we were uh, telling them a scripture because we knew they, that the man needed his faith built up and about sin causing problems and things like that. So uh, 
not too long before we were getting ready to leave and we were praying that God will open his eyes to see these things and see these truths. And the man said, um, I want you all to know, because I want to confess to you all in person, I've already repented of my sins and, and confessed and asked God to forgive me, but I want to tell you all that I have repented of my sins and confessed my sins to God. And, and I said, that's exactly what we've been waiting to hear. And more importantly, that's what God's been waiting to hear. And I said, do you want to lose your leg or not? Because he had been kidding about picking out a peg leg to wear. And, and he said, oh, no, I don't want to lose my leg. That's, that was just a way of kidding about getting a peg leg to, to deal with my fears. And I said, we've, we've been telling you scripture about how we have authority over uh, the demons, that we can drive the demons out of your leg, and the healing scriptures that will heal your leg. Can you believe those? And he said, I definitely can. And do you, so do you want us to, to drive those demons out and pray over your leg and have your leg healed? And he said, yes, I definitely do. So we laid hands on him, drove those, the demons out, prayed the prayer of faith offering with the healing scriptures. And I said, um, so you are healed. Now Satan will try to come and, and make you doubt. But if you do not doubt, you are healed. I guarantee it. Amen. And that's where I learned that from. Hey, <laughs> of the Word of God. <laughs> Just like we're, I did. We're little thermos right now. But we're Praise the Lord. Yeah. And uh, so the next Tuesday, he went to his doctor's appointment. He called us. He said, when the doctor looked at my leg, his exact words were, quote, this looks like a miracle, unquote. The, uh, the big uh, hematoma lump was almost completely gone. It had been white and hard. It was now soft and, and pliable, and the color had come back to it. And the doctor said, not only are we not going to have to take your leg off, but you can get up now, start walking around, and in a few days when you have your strength back, you can go back to horseshoeing again. Amen. So praise the Lord. So wow. What you, what you have been teaching is the absolute truth right out of God's mouth. Praise the King. Glory. Don't you love it when they're just normal Christians, just like we are, all of us are just... I love it whenever people come back to the healing school. And it's faith in the name of our King that gets it done, right? I mean, He has given us this power. And some man asked me a question a while ago. I've got to share this, and then I'm going to, we're going to have to quit and pray for people. But we're talking about over in the book of Jude, when it says, you know, even the archangel Michael... He was careful how he didn't even bring a railing accusation against Satan. So, you know, that kind of scares me to think that maybe we don't have that kind of power either. But see, when he was talking about the body of Moses, how far in the future was it before the king was going to come and defeat the devil? But Jesus came... But until he came, all during that time, who was the God of this world that was in total control of this world? Satan. He was the prince of the power of the air, and he was the God of this world. Well, he still is. But for Christians, he has no power over us unless we give it to him. Now then, when we think about on this side of the cross, the king has come and defeated him, had the power of death, that is, the devil. Stripped him of all of his power and armament. And then he's given you and me two great and awesome promises. And one of them we've already quoted a couple of times today. One of them is in Mark 16, 17, and 18, where Jesus said, These signs shall follow those that believe. In my name you shall drive out devils, and you shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
And when you did that for that young man, you saw Jesus show up. But the other one is Luke 10, 19, and 20. If you don't have Luke 10, 19, and 20 hidden in your heart yet, turn over into your Bible and look at this magnificent statement. The King has made us today as His children. This is when I got a hold of this. I used to read this, and the devil would always bring it to my mind scorpions, the serpent, and scorpions. It's a, you know, that's a snake and a little old scorpion that crawls on the ground. Yep. And one day I got a hold of the truth. Behold, I, Jesus, given to you power or authority to trample or to tread on the devil and his demons. All power is given to you over them. Nevertheless, you don't have to rejoice in this, that the evil spirits have to be subject to you. There's the clincher. The evil spirits have to be subject to you. But rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. When Randy came in and repented of his sins and he had that demon of epilepsy, how much power and authority do he and I have and J.C. as another pastor? How much power and authority do we have over the demons of hell? Hey, if me and you got all power, me and you and Randy together, we command them devils to leave. He said, a threefold cord can't hardly be broken. He said, if it's two of us, will agree about anything is done. He said, one of us can put a thousand devils to flight, but two of us, Randy, can put ten thousand to flight. So when we skip it up to JC there, that's three. That means he's a big boy. That's a hundred thousand. I like that math, don't you, JC? So that's how we could kick them devils out of him. And the boy's having three seizures a week with medicine. Hadn't had no medicine. Hadn't had a single seizure since that time. How much power did Jesus give us? Hey, don't you all think that we need to start calling the healing schools the power of God and His promises. That's what we are. That's what we're learning. Who we are. Sons of God. Daughters of God. Peter walked up there and there's that little man that couldn't walk. And he said, I don't have any money. What I have, I give to you freely. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. The little guy looked up and said, What? What? I can't walk and I can just see Peter reaching down and grabbing that little shriveled up guy by the hand. He said, I said in the name of Jesus. Now I can see him jerking that devil right out of him. <laughs> he said, I said, get up. Act on it. And what happened? The man, when he hit the ground, he hit the ground running. He's running up and down the temple steps, praising God. And of course, then the church leaders comes and says, how did you do this? We did it in the name of Jesus. By faith in the name of Jesus. Well, don't you ever use that name again. No. That's the church leaders. So when you're at work and you start talking in the name of Jesus, it won't be long till they'll say, you've got to stop that nonsense. Because when you start doing things in the name of Jesus, when you start doing things in faith in the name of Jesus, what's going to start happening? Miracles, that's exactly right. That's what all God's looking for is somebody to do something stupid for Him. 
That's all he's waiting for. You know, you run up in a woman that's got her arm all burned and she's screaming and hollering. You run up in the left or right arm's one burn. I mean, burn from here to here. Big old blisters. You grab her on this arm and say, Jesus said in Isaiah 53, 4 that He bore your pain so you won't have to bear that pain. Uh, Jesus also said in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, I could lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But I said, I don't know how long that will take Him. I said, Mark eleven twenty three. He said, whatever I say with my mouth, I'll believe in my heart I can have it. So I said, woman, I guarantee you, you'll get a supernatural healing from the king. And his name's Jesus. Now, that's right in the workplace with people all around with a woman burned screaming. And instantly the pain's gone. And she won't even go to the doctor. She works all evening with huge blisters all over and everybody gets to see it. Why do you think he left that? He wanted everybody to see because she got home that night and her husband got to see it. He won't take her to emergency. She wouldn't go. She said, it don't hurt at all. If I wake up in the morning, it's hurting me, I'll go. But she woke up the next morning, and when she woke up and turned over and looked at her arm, it looked just like mine. What kind of Jesus do we serve? Is He awesome? You start doing things like that in the workplace, you start stepping out and guaranteeing Jesus will do these wonderful things, you're going to start seeing the king do those same kind of things I've seen him do all these years. Just like this couple back here, they stepped out in faith two times. Prayed over a baby. A devil had stopped up those little tear ducts and they prayed the prayer of faith and the baby the next morning, the little tears were flowing. And the man that's fixing to lose his leg on Tuesday... And they go over on Sunday and pray the prayer of faith. And by Tuesday, only one explanation for this. Looks like a miracle. Are we, are we serving a miracle working Jesus? Woo! I love it, don't you? See, when we get these kind of testimonies all throughout this place, you've got to know it ain't me that's doing none of this. It's faith in the name of Jesus that all these things happen. You don't have to have somebody special pray for you. All you've got to do is have faith. And if you have faith, you get to see God do wonderful things, don't you? Isn't it fun serving Jesus like that? Woo, I love it. We love it, don't we, Ty? We really love it. Praise God. Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for these great and awesome promises. What a mighty God You are. You're the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Lord, I ask You to bless everybody here. Lord, I ask You to convict people of their sins. They repent of their sins so You can heal them today. Lord, give us the faith to pray the prayer of faith for people so that when they get prayed for, they get healed. Lord, thank You for giving all of us our sins and forgiving us. And Lord, thank You that it's not upon our righteousness or our holiness that we get all these things done, but it's by faith in the name of Jesus that everything happens. Thank You, Father, for healing Your people and forgiving us. In Jesus' name, Amen.